You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net, and as usual I'm joined by my good friend Chris Kasky of mrgilderpixels.com. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Enjoying the weekend. Uh, to, I had a stressful Friday, so it's nice to just oh. be able to kick back and relax with some games and some good conversation. So, perfect. Yes. So um, today's episode, uh, when we get into our main topic, is going to be themed around the subject of puzzle games. So that will be our third segment for today. As usual, we will kick off with uh, a discussion of the news, followed by a bit about what we've been playing first day. So. Uh, let's jump right into the news. Uh, Chris, I know you've been um, frantically posting some bits and pieces in the channel, so why don't you kick off with something? Yeah, so it's just been kind of a interesting couple weeks. There's There's been some stuff that I've avoided posting because most of it's just been a lot of launch date announcements for stuff we already yeah. know exists, and I don't really consider that news per se. Uh, <laughs> but one launch date I think is worth mentioning, and that is we finally have a date for Death Stranding. Yes. So... November 8th, my friends, we are going to get to enjoy this massive weirdness. Um, the new trailer that was released alongside the launch date um, contains some genuine gameplay footage for the very first time. Um, mm-hmm. It's just weird Metal Gear. It's just weird Metal Gear. Um, <laughs> to the point where the enemies, when they see you, make the same noise. Um, <laughs> it's going to be great. It's just yeah. like Metal Gear with ghosts. Um, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, it looks amazing. The Decima engine is unbelievable. Um, there appears to be quite a bit of um, kind of navigation puzzle solving going on because, like, traversing yeah. the landscape is super important. So there's like cool puzzles and tools. There's a lot of this kind of um, just like future tech, speculative future tech that they've just kind of created for like navigation in the future. And it's yeah. really cool to see this stuff at play. Yeah. Uh, I've not looked into it in detail uh, as yet, but um, I know it certainly sounds like there's going to be some sort of connectivity in there as well. Cause I know uh, yes. uh, Kojima himself has been talking about um, sort of building connections between players and that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see what that means. And, yeah, that that would be an entirely appropriate thing to explore in a successor to Metal Gear as well, especially when you take into account some of the stuff that was in Metal Gear 2 in particular. Yes. Um, yeah, very much a theme that's worth exploring. Um, K- Kojima's been kind of adorably humble about this over the last few days from what I've seen. So he's he's sort of like, yeah, yes, here's my trailer. I hope you like it. It's it's I've been working hard on it. Please enjoy it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I encourage everybody to watch the trailer. It's eight minutes long, so it's uh-huh. basically a short film. It's not even really yeah. a trailer at this point, but... Uh, it's amazing and it's it's really it's just it's just pure kojima it's it's wonderful um if there's anyone who is remotely worried about kind of some of the feeling of loss that metal gear solid um was it five five yeah yes five five kind of had with it it's hard because i i I don't even remember that five exists sometimes (laughs) um yeah so this game looks like it's going to be proper. I don't really know how else to describe it, but like my Kojima fanboy, like feelers are twitching. It's 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 right. He's free to do what he wants finally, and I'm honestly impressed that he's making a, a 
release date. Uh, I was joking with all my friends for the past couple weeks that you just watched Death Stranding is going to not make the PS4. It's going to be a PS5 <laughs> launch title. Like, that's for yeah. sure what I thought was going to happen. But uh, we're going to have it in five months. Yeah. It's... Uh... Yeah, quite quite a bit sooner than people were expecting, I think. So yeah, yeah, that's all very exciting. Looking forward to um, to seeing the final product there. And it's cool because if you've ever wanted to dive in with Kojima, this is a new IP. Yeah. So it's not like you don't have to deal with the legacy of Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was just about to say I, I I really need to catch up on Metal Gear at some point because I I still haven't. But um, yeah, this. This is sort of a nice way to kind of reboot, if you like, if you just want to enjoy Kojima's particular brand of creativity without sort of having to engage with four, five, six different games Mm -hmm. beforehand. So, yes, looking forward to it. All right, what's next? Uh, Well, how about all the weird Pokemon stuff? So, so in our previous episode, we had talked about uh, Nintendo and Dina or DNA. We still don't know what it is. uh, Announcing (laughs) that they were going to be working on a new Pokemon game. So uh, along with that, we've also got some information on two other Pokemon apps that are coming for smartphones. So the the Dina game is Pokemon Masters, which is a smartphone game that's going to be celebrating kind of just the not just the Pokemon themselves, but also the like the legendary trainers themselves from throughout the history of like Pokemon narratives. Which is means cute Pokemon girls. It it essentially means an excuse for yeah, Pokemon (laughs) waifu collecting, and I'm (laughs) super down because we all love Flannery. Um, but alongside that, there's also some classic Nintendo weirdness, mainly something called Pokemon Sleep, which is some kind of app that's gonna track your sleeping patterns mm-hmm. with Pokemon, um, and it's gonna be linked to a new Pokemon Go device that will come out, like an upgraded version, it's like Pokemon Go Plus or whatever, um, that's gonna link to this to track your sleeping patterns, which I thought, I have no idea what this means or who this is for or what it is, I don't think anyone does at this point, but it's kinda cool because it reminds me of back in the day on the Wii, there was all that talk about Nintendo moving towards kind of like lifestyle and biorhythm tracking stuff. Yeah, this is kind of interesting because I'm sure there was a, a statement recently where they said that they were officially putting all that stuff on hold, um, and and then this gets announced. <laughs> yeah, so it's weird. So, so who knows yeah. what this is? But most, I think, most delightful for Pokemon old school fans is that a Pokemon smartphone app called Pokemon Home is coming out, and what Pokemon Home will do is wirelessly bridge the gap between your switch and your 3ds and your smartphone so basically um it's going to allow for wireless pokemon trading between all three platforms oh that's cool so you can bring your guys who are on your 3ds pokemon bank into pokemon sword and shield when it comes out this fall Mm -hmm. so this is really cool cloud-based service for pokemon trading wirelessly between three platforms yeah, good stuff. Yeah, they're going hard on Pokemon at the moment, aren't they? So Yeah, it, it's awesome. <laughs> Give me Pokemon all day. <laughs> every day. Alrighty, right. Um, oh, I'm just scrolling through the list of stuff we've got to talk about here. What would you like to bring up next? What is this Playdate thing? Let's talk about this, because this is bizarro. Right. Yeah, so um, I just spotted this the other day, and I, I just put it in there because I, I thought it was interesting. So uh, I'm going to have to remind myself what it is while I'm 
um, talking about it. It's um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a handheld console. Yeah, it's it's a handheld console. It's by a company called uh, Panic, uh, who are mostly known for app ma- uh, making apps, and they published uh, Firewatch. Is probably the main thing that they're most well known for. They didn't make it; they just published it. Oh, okay. Um, so they so they so they're sort of big into into supporting uh, indie developers in various ways. Um, and the play date is this um, bright yellow handheld console with a black and white screen um and a crank um and um yeah so so the, the crank isn't like to wind it up or it's, it's not like a clockwork device or anything the crank is actually a a physical control that's part of the system um and so the games that are being designed for it are uh, intended to sort of make use of this as as a unique control system um and the um the intention behind the system is that you buy the system and then you get a season of uh, indie games included with it that are released at regular intervals. So they've got a bunch of uh, independent developers uh, partnering with them. And over the course of like a year or something, I think they're going to be bringing out uh, new games for the system and delivering them to it, presumably over the internet. Um, and so every so often you'll get a new game to experience on this on this system and there's yeah there's a really interesting mix of people involved with it so um they've got people who are already into weird control systems like bennett foddy who made uh q-op and various spin-offs um you played q-op before Oh yeah, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Bennett Foddy, if if you're not familiar with him, he he likes to make games where the control schemes are very specific. So rather than a sort of abstract control scheme that's sort of just like push right to go right, what he does is he he makes a control scheme where you're literally controlling the individual limbs and in some cases joints. So QOP is his most famous work in which you're controlling a runner and. Um, yeah, you're you're basically controlling like the, the sort of the thigh and knee joints basically of of this runner, and you have to keep him balanced, and it's incredibly difficult, notoriously difficult. But um, him getting on board with something with an unconventional control scheme is uh, entirely expected. Um, but then we've also got people like um, Keita Takahashi on board with it as well, which is awesome. Yeah, so um, for, for, for those who recognize his name but can't quite place what he's from, he is the guy behind uh, Katamari, basically. So, again, a game with uh, an unusual and interesting control scheme, uh, a game which kind of sort of bucks the trends of um, the sort of conventions of gaming in many ways. He's done lots of really interesting things over the years. Uh, and again, yeah, give him a handheld console with a crank on it, and I'm sure he'll do something interesting with that. So, um, yeah, I just thought this was this was a cool little thing. I don't know if it's going to be successful or anything, or if it's just going to be sort of an expensive novelty. But um, it's, yeah, it's expensive novelty for sure. And they're they're it seems like they're making them in extremely limited quantities. Yeah. So it's going to be yeah. like a you don't get you're not going to get one if you don't pre-order it kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 sort of the the artisanal weasel poo coffee of the indie game space, I think. Um, so it's, yeah. uh, you can pre-order it at the moment for one hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and there's going to be twelve games in this first season. So I, I assume one per month. Um, uh, we, a week, I think. I think oh, they, I think unlocks. I think you get a new game each week. Yep, twelve oh, twelve cool. new games included, one each week. Yeah, fair enough. So they just okay. un- they just unlock on a time basis. Yeah. 
yeah so you can find out a bit more about that on the website play.date um and also if you have access to edge magazine there's um a big feature on that in uh that's the latest issue of it edge edge number 333 um so if you want to find out a bit more about it it is teeny tiny like the yes. si- it's like the palm of your hand yeah it's it's it, it's sort of about the size of a of a floppy disk a yeah half inch floppy disk yeah so yeah we'll be interested to see some thoughts on that i mean i'm, I'm probably not going to pick one up but um yeah it's 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 an interesting thing for people to be pursuing something a bit different and sort of deliberately intended to be kind of um sort of rebellious and punky i think is what they're going for with yeah. it so I just love the aesthetic of it. I I would buy one just to have it. Like yeah, uh, with those exposed bolts that go through. Oh, yeah. This is a <laughs> this is a sexy little piece of hardware. And that D pad yeah. with those rounded edges. Yeah, oh. it's nice. Yeah, it's I like nice. me likey. Alrighty, uh, moving on. So uh, one relatively small announcement, but will be of interest to uh, readers of Mario Gamer, of course, um, is that Denpasuft has finally released the 18 plus version of uh, Syndrome no Mao, or the Devil on G String, as it's also known. Um, so this was released probably over a year ago uh, on Steam by Sakai Project. Um, and everyone was like, well, where's the 18 plus version? Because normally Denpasoft, who are basically part of Zekai Project, they, they normally release the 18 plus versions either at the same time as the um, all ages versions or a little bit afterwards. Um, but there was no sign of this. There, there was just no mention of this anywhere. And so a lot of people didn't pick up the Steam version because they were waiting for this, this uncut version. Uh, and now it's available. So if you pop over to Denpasoft, you can pick that up. Uh, it's $45. This is supposed to be uh, one of the all-time greats of visual novels. Um, so there was um, like the uh, the visual novel Reddit uh, a while back. They have uh, sort of an ongoing thread of what they consider to be the best visual novels of all time, sort of voted by the community and so on, sort of the most widely regarded as, as excellent stuff. And this is always high up there, um, along with stuff like Grisaia and stuff like that. So... Um, if you want sort of a genuine classic, this is well worth pursuing from the sound of things. Hmm. I don't know a lot about the story. Um, it's something to do with like you, uh, the main character is the son of a gangster. Um, he, he likes listening to bark, hence the reference to air on a g-string in the title. Um, and um, yeah, that's about all I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so all, all I know is that, and it's supposed to be very good. So so do check that out if you're into your visual novels. Mm. Uh, moving on, uh, we heard that there is going to be a Nintendo Switch version of Dandy Dungeon Legend of Brave Yamada. Uh, very soon, actually. Uh, June the 27th, that's supposed to be coming out. So exciting. Um, yeah, so this was uh, a really cool game that was on um, mobile before. Uh, it's from uh, a company called Onion Games. Who's who's the guy behind that again? I can never remember his name. I can never remember his name either. Um, yeah. But I love his stuff, and so... It drives me crazy that I can't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking it up now because I feel like I feel like I should know it. Yeah, uh, Yoshiro Kimura. There we go. Yeah, Kimura. Yep. 
Yeah, so so he's he's made um, a bunch of games over the years. He's he's worked on uh, a variety of things. He's worked on stuff like uh, Little King's Story, No More Heroes, Shadows of the Damned, uh, Rule of Rose, Romancing Saga. Uh, but then most recently, he's been working on uh, a lot of sort of really creative uh, mobile games. So his uh, sort of most well-known ones are Million Onion Hotel, which I actually downloaded yesterday, but uh, to talk about today, but I haven't actually got around to playing yet. So. I'm <laughs> Fool on me, I guess. Um, Blackbird was that? Yeah, Blackbird. I think cool. one of his. Yeah, that was one of his more recent ones. That I, th I think we we talked a bit about in um, uh, one of the previous news sections. And then Dandy Dungeon. Dandy Dungeon is um, it kind of markets itself um, as a, a sort of roguelike almost, but it's it's more of a puzzle game really. Um, the concept is that there's um, this uh, aging, sad Japanese programmer. Um, is sort of trying to develop his own game because he hates his job um and he, he he sits in his apartment just coding away at his game and he, he falls in love with his new neighbor and he um <laughs> he's sort of he's sort of trying to add his neighbor that he's fallen in love with to this game and he's gradually expanding the game with new mechanics and all sorts of things like that and the basic mechanics are uh, sort of um drawing lines through dungeons in order to make the most efficient path through them and be able to collect all the items defeat all the enemies and complete various objectives and it was a really cool game on mobile but um it was also a free-to-play game so um you, you'd reach situations where um sort of you might need items to progress or you might have to pay a bit of money and so on this new switch version this is completely rebuilding it for um a standalone release so there's no microtransactions or anything in it um it's 24.99 um so and it's got the the original content um i don't know if there's new stuff in it it says it's completely rebalanced for play on consoles but it doesn't say if there's actually any any new content in there um, but yeah, this is a really cool game, um, and it's a nice fit for Switch as well. It's a great handheld game because it's the levels are so short that you can just pick up and play for a little bit, or you can spend a bit more time with it if you want to. So yeah, I'll yeah. be interested to see how this feels as a complete. I think I think twenty five dollars is a little steep for this game. That was that was my first impression for it as well. But yeah, I, but it's but good. I mean, yeah, I, I mean it, it was it was a solid game and. Um, it's got a wonderful aesthetic to it, so it's got it's got wonderful music to it, and um, didn't the dude speak in sort of like really adorable gibberish as well, a bit like in the Mario and Luigi games? He was sort of yeah. oh yeah, yeah. There's there's lots of that, <laughs> and there's like humming and stuff in the as part of the soundtrack. Yeah, right. It's like it'll be like it's like like just like like dudes doing stuff like that, and it's yeah, it's really charming. It's a cool yeah. game. Yeah. Yes. So watch out for that. That's coming out on June twenty seventh, from the sound of things. Um, I assume that's worldwide, because the the trailer is certainly in English. So yeah, twenty four dollar ninety nine. So yeah, that must be worldwide, or America at the very least. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, Square Enix apparently filed a trademark for Collection of Mana in Europe, uh, which has got a lot of people very excited. Yes. Uh, there's nothing nothing confirmed about this or anything yet. I hasten to add, but. Um, so Collection of Mana is already out on Switch in Japan, is that right? Yes. I think. It has been for um, a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, and so, so people have been hoping that this would come west in one form or another because there's great hunger for mana-related stuff. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, most importantly, if this happens, it is po it will be possible for the first time ever to legally own an English copy of Seek and Densetsu 3. Yes. Which is huge. 
Yes. The need to own an English version of Seek and Densetsu 3 is something that has consumed me <laughs> for like for like 20 years. Yeah. But <laughs> like, this game is unbelievable. Yeah. So, um well, hopefully something comes of this then. So, as I say, it's just a trademark filing at the moment, but it is specifically in Europe. So that that kind of suggests a Western release. So, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Don't get your hopes too high because you know you might be disappointed. But yeah, it is a distinct possibility. Uh, All right. Um, moving on, uh, Inti Creates and um, Eager have confirmed that the second playable character in Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is going to be Zangetsu, who was um, last seen in Circle Circle of the Moon. And mm-hmm. I, I, was, I always want to call it a, like a Castlevania subtitle because it sounds like it's just a... It is Circle of the Moon, yeah. isn't it? No, Circle of the Moon is one of the Castlevanias. That is a Castlevania. Cur- Curse, Cur- of Curse of the Moon. Yes, Circle of the Moon is right. the first Castlevania on the GBA, I think. Yeah, see, I, I never remember that one because I've told this story before, but that was just called Castlevania over here right. to confuse everyone. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, yeah, Zangetsu is in Ritual of the Night. It sounds like he's going to be post-launch um, content rather than included in the base game, but they've they've got big plans for stuff that will be launched, uh, sort of launched after the base game is released. So I'm a, I'm a little disappointed by that. I'm not not that Dengetsu is playable. Obviously, this is cool as hell. But like, there's a lot of post-launch content yes. and patches and DLC already for this game. Yeah, like yeah, what I, I, what are they even launching? i'm 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 a little bit upset about this as well um most people on the kickstarter have been whining about not getting a steelbook but um no i there have been a couple of people including me who says well you know i would probably rather you'd have released the physical version with all this stuff that would have been nice but oh well it it is what it is i guess and there's i mean there's always the possibility of some sort of re-release down the road i guess but um I mean, this is getting a physical release in um, sort of selected retailers, I think, as well, like yes. Best, Best Buy and various other places. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there, there is a, there is a lot of post-launch stuff. It's, there was mostly the stretch goals from the original campaign. So there's things like a roguelike mode. There is a, uh, a classic mode where you play it like an old Castlevania rather than a, um, a more modern one. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, Zangetsu is is, is going to be in there as part of all that, and he's played by David Hater, and there's a gloriously cheesy trailer of him um, being David Hater. So <laughs> enjoy that. <laughs> there's also they've also teased there is another third playable character coming yes. that they say is going to be a big like a big surprise. Like everyone's going to be excited about it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what that means because it's not like this is a series with a fan following because it's a new series, but we'll see what they mean by that. It'll just be like Alucard with a K or or, or, some, or something, and like they'll just change the color of his hair slightly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, stepping sideways to vaguely related stuff, um, Konami has announced the Contra Anniversary Collection will include Contra Hardcore and Probotector. So if you want um, <laughs> Contra that isn't Contra, there you go. <laughs> hey, Probotector's cool. Yes, Pro- yes it is. If you've ever uh, enjoyed Contra but thought, what would this look like if all the characters were cool mechs instead of muscly soldier mans, <laughs> then Probotector's the game for you. Yeah. 
So, um, it seems that this complete collection will include um, the Famicom version of Contra, the NES version of Contra, Operation C for Game Boy, Genesis version of Contra Hardcore, uh, Probotector for the Sega Mega Drive, and Super Probotector for the SNES. Uh, alongside that, there's the arcade versions of Contra and Super Contra, Super C on the NES, and Contra 3 for the SNES. So, this is a fairly comprehensive collection from the sound of things. Um, only sort of missing the slightly later ones, like the um, the PS2 games. But, um, yeah. So, this is due out in summer. There uh, doesn't seem to be a specific date for that yet. It's going to be $20, like the other Konami collections. Um, and judging by the Castlevania collection, which I'll talk a little bit about later, um, yeah, these should be good conversions as well. So... Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Any, right. t- any opportunity to play hardcore is, yeah. is all right by me because that game yeah. is on fire. Definitely. All right. Um, a little while back, we had some news about uh, Gus doing a new project, and unsurprisingly, it's a new Atelier game. Um, so, this is Atelier Riser, uh, which has been announced for PS4, uh, followed by Switch and PC, is the wording I've got in the news story here. So, it sounds like the PS4 version might come first and then get ported afterwards. Um, yeah, this looks lovely. The graphics are gorgeous. Yeah, this um, is something special. These backgrounds are incredible. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the <laughs> I've read somewhere that the uh, the designer specifically had the brief to focus on the thighs of the main character. Yes. If you look, if you look at the uh, the character art, then yeah, those are some good thighs. Um, <laughs> um, so the the main character, Rysalyn Stout, presumably shortened to Riser, as in other Atelier games. Uh, she is apparently an average girl whose speciality is not having any specialties. She's free-spirited and can be a bit of a tomboy, but she has a strong sense of justice like every JRPG hero and yeah. doesn't easily change her mind when it comes to something she feels is right. Her everyday life changes after a certain encounter. Um, yeah, so um, it, it sounds like the alchemy system in this is going to be completely different to what we had in previous games. Um, and the the battle and uh, gathering and synthesis, basically all the systems are going to be completely revamped from the sound of things. Um, the screenshot we've got of what I guess is the crafting system, it looks almost like a, a sort of tree of ingredients, which is, is going to be interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited for this. Um, Again, I've still got a lot of Atelier games to catch up on. Uh, even now, I've played through all the Ireland games, which I really enjoyed. I've got the Dusk series, the Mysterious series, and I think the Irish series on my shelf as well that I need to play all of. And then there's this one, and then there's Lulua as well, and then there's Nilky. Just, <laughs> just when you thought you were done with the Ireland series, they fucking went and launched another Ireland game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to complain about more Atelier. It is, it is the most comfy series in existence, so anytime you want a bit of a break from uh, things being unpleasant, and just boot up one of those and have a, have a lovely time. Right, um, what else we got? Uh, uh, No More Heroes, Travis Strikes Again, no longer Switch exclusive, is coming, it is coming to PS4 and PC Mm -hmm. via Steam, Uh, so that's cool, so people who didn't have a Switch, first of all, who doesn't have a Switch, but if you didn't, (laughs) if you don't have a Switch, you'll be able to play Suda's latest, this game is a lot of fun, so please play it. Um, I'm wondering if there won't be some kind of complete aspect to the other console, like the PS4 and Steam versions, because there was some DLC for the Switch one. So maybe, yes. maybe I'm, I have a feeling you'll probably get a full buy-in with everything on the PS4 and Steam that, versions. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Have, have they finished releasing additional stuff for it now? I think... 
I think because it was like after it came out, it was like one a month for yep. like for like two months or something, and then mm-hmm. it was like dumb. Or one every other month. So I think I think all the content's out for it. So yep. I'm just thinking if there's a PS4 version with physical, I'll probably rebuy it because it'll have yep. everything everything on disc. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you buy the Switch version, you do get a code for all the DLC. If you buy the if, if, if you buy the physical yeah, buy the version of the Switch, yeah. but you know, this game is really cool, um, and mm-hmm. I don't think it got talked about nearly as much of it as it should have. No, so. I'm I'm, I'm going to cover it at some point, uh, but I want to cover it as like a broader, um, long term pseudo project because yeah. um, everyone I've spoken to about it has said that you get much more appreciation out of this game if you play all of pseudo's previous stuff first. Yeah, it's definitely In- like a career tribute. <laughs> yeah, including right back to stuff like the silver case and so on as well. Because yes. there's even references to that in it. So I've picked up both of those on PS4 a little while back because. Um, Nisa Europe had a, a rather attractive sale on them, so I grabbed both of those, uh, which is nice. And then I, I managed to pick up a, a copy of Flower, Sun, and Rain on DS a while back for a couple of quid as well. So yeah, I'm, cool. I'm pretty I'm pretty well tooled up for for Suda stuff at the minute. I just need to actually uh, settle down and play some of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the very least, just to know more heroes, like all three yes, know more yes. heroes, because because they're they're relatively brief games. Yeah, you know, like ten hour games. Like compared mm-hmm. to the stuff you're used to covering, you could you could cover all three No More Heroes and still be like halfway through the month. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to uh, to seeing that getting a, a broader release, and I'm definitely looking forward to covering these as well. Because uh, as I, as I said before, Suda is still a bit of a black spot in my knowledge, but I know he he does a lot of stuff that would appeal greatly to me. So looking forward to exploring that and talking a bit about it yeah. as well. Yeah, the visual novel sections in Travis Strikes Again are delightful. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've heard. They have that like framed PC eighty eight like look to them. It's yeah. it's 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 good stuff. Lovely. Um, yeah. So Star Ocean, the mm-hmm. the delightful RPG series that everyone thinks is dead and then keeps coming back from the <laughs> dead, is uh, getting back in the news again. Uh, the 2007 PSP remake of the original Super mm-hmm. Famicom Star Ocean game, Star Ocean First Departure, is getting a remaster. Star oh. Ocean First De- Departure R for ps4 and switch that's so cool. that's cool because um whenever we can support triace we do so yeah so definitely. this is going to be worth playing yeah my my contact with star ocean is mostly limited to the second one and the third one so far sure. I, I have i have the fourth and fifth one but i haven't played them yet but um yeah i've always really enjoyed these games so it's it's cool to see this version come back and i i know the psp version was uh is quite well regarded so it's great yeah yeah star ocean is a really interesting series and star ocean one is a particularly interesting game because it introduced a really unique skill system and also a cooking mini game which was something that wasn't really prevalent at the time Um, yes it was a, a bit more of a trendsetter than a lot of people realize Yes, I, I remember that was one thing that struck me about Star Ocean Two is you had lo- you had lots of skills that you would normally see in tabletop role playing games. Yes, you had th- you had things like sort of writing and composing music and that sort of thing, and developing those would give you all sorts of interesting events that wouldn't otherwise happen. And they they didn't tend to have a lot of impact on the actual gameplay itself, but they provided you with more insight into the world and the characters and that sort of thing. So yeah, that was something I really liked about those games and. 
I can't remember. I don't think that stuff was present in the third one. Definitely, I don't know if it's in the later ones. But um, yeah, I don't it think so very, It was certainly a very striking thing about um, about uh, Star Ocean Two as well, which is another one of the PS One games that I got rid of at some point and subsequently regret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Second Story is a very celebrated game. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, Intercreates is going to be releasing Blaster Master Zero on Steam in June, which is this month. Um, June the 14th, apparently, it's coming out. Um, this is a really, really cool game. Um, have you played it yet? No, I haven't. I've just been holding no. out for a physical yeah. version. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be lovely. But yeah, this is a fantastic game. So it's... Um, it's a combination of kind of a loving remake of the original Blaster Master, but it's also um, got a bunch of additional stuff in there. Like, there's a lot more story. They make the story make a bit more sense than Boy Falls Down Hole Chasing Frog. Um, I mean, it's still basically Boy Falls Down Hole Chasing Frog, but there is, like, a point to it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boy Falls Down Hole Chasing Frog Plus. Yes, yes. Um, there's a cute android girl in it. Um, there is um, like some extra stages over the original uh, NES version. So the, the the last stage in particular is sort of this beautiful sort of kind of it kind of moves on from the sort of NES aesthetic into sort of kind of PC Engine type uh, aesthetic. So there's like some more colours and stuff, and it's obviously kind of sort of moving on a bit. Um, and it's got some really cool DLC. So there's some DLC with uh, Shante and uh, Ekero from Galgun. And I'm sure there's someone else I've forgotten as well. Isn't Gunvolt in there again? Because there was a period where they were putting Gunvolt in everything, wasn't there, I think? There's some Gunvolt stuff for sure. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, this is, this is a really cool game. Um, well worth your time. And glad it's getting a, a wider release. Definitely. Um, there is a second blaster master zero game on switch now so presumably that will jump across at some point as well i haven't played the new one yet but uh, I, I will look into that because it's the first one was so good i really enjoyed it i'm hoping that when the second one comes out then we'll get a double pack like we That'd did cool, with it? azure yeah. striker gunvolt yes Oh, yeah, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that, that'd be super cool, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely up for that. I will happily rebuy that if that happens. So, definitely. All right, um, only a couple of things left to talk about. Do you want to talk about Cotton? Because I think you know more about this than I do. Yeah, yeah, so um, kind of the quintessential cute em up right? Cute shoot 'em up uh, Cotton, which is a series that's been around for a long time, but has been dormant for a long time, is uh, coming back. Mm. So, Beep which is a chain of stores um, that exists in Japan, which is popular for selling retro stuff, is actually starting to branch off into publication. Um, so it's very interesting. And one of the first projects they're going to be working on is a reboot of the original of, of Cotton, um, the X68000 version. Mm. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> Um, <laughs> co cotton is a lot of fun. It's a really adorable shoot 'em up where you play as a little witch on a broom. And there's a bunch of them, um, kind of spanning the obviously older Japanese PCs, the arcades. Um, I think most American fans are familiar with the uh, Sega CD version that we actually did get an English version of here. Is that the um, one with the cool 3D effect? I don't remember. It's, it's, I, I seem to remember seeing that there's, there's one of the Cotton games has this really awesome 3D effect that sort of shouldn't really have been possible on the hardware, but they managed to do it. Uh, there, well, there is one that's like a clone of Space Harrier. Is that what you're talking about? 
Mm. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, no, that's not the Sega CD one. The Sega CD one's just like a classic, classic horizontal shooter. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, but yeah, but there is there is the one that's like a clone of of like Space Harrier with that like three mm-hmm. D style. Um, Rainbow Cotton, I want to say. I think that's the one on the Dreamcast. Hmm, could be. Yeah, have you seen? They're also uh, apparently releasing made to order copies of the original X sixty eight thousand version as well. That's incredible. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, like, if you want an original floppy disk version of the original original cotton, you will be able to get it. Uh, presumably in very limited quantities, uh, but they are making those to order. So, if you want a sort of a really cool collectible, then there it is. Yeah, so I'm on the fence about what to do about this because there is going to be a physical version of this, but I think it's going to be exceedingly limited pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully PlayAsia will be able to get their hands on it. This is a really cool series. These games are adorable. Yeah, um, yeah. I love this artwork. This artwork is like sort of pure 90s anime. It's oh, it's yeah, it's delicious. So yeah, cotton coming back, and hopefully this means more people will care about cotton again. Yeah, definitely. Because I think the market's primed for these games. The the anime fan community and stuff. It's just perfect. It's a perfect fit for yeah, the current for the current landscape. Definitely. All right. Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, we talked about Blaster Master Zero. It's also exciting because that other Gunvolt game that we both forgot existed now has a uh launch date oh yes a uh, gunvolt chronicles luminous avenger ix launches for in september 26 for the ps4 switch and pcs um which is a spin-off title of into creates azure striker gunvolt starring the antagonist slash also kind of good guy uh copen copen yeah. copen um so more gunvolt always a good thing the end um, this one appears to have a focus on kind of a faster pacing, pacing, almost a bit more like playing Zero in Mega Man X, like a, mm-hmm. like a lot of dashing and like bouncing around. Uh, looks looks really really good, so that'll be worth keeping an eye out for. Uh, and one last thing, everyone knows how much I enjoy Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat's. We've got a um, announcement that the Mortal Kombat 11 DLC pack has finally been confirmed. Um, we are getting, besides Shang Tsung, which we knew we were going to get, we are also getting Nightwolf, Sindel, and uh, Spawn. So uh, the past couple uh, Mortal Kombats have been kind of famous for having guest characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spawn, the comic book character Spawn, is the first first new one. Yeah. Um, which is awesome, because he's a perfect fit for Mortal Kombat. Definitely. With like Definitely. the chain the chains and the gore and the horror theme around his design. Um, so that'll be cool. I love I love playing with the guest characters, so and I and I've always loved Spawn. So this is great. Also Sindel's my girl. So I'm so <laughs> I'm so excited to see like four K Sindel. Yeah. So cool. Um MK eleven's great. I can't wait to buy it in two years when the complete edition comes out. Yes, uh, the mantra of today, isn't it? Oh, especially with Warner Brothers published games. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but but they always make good on it. So at least yeah. I know, at least I know. Like sometimes with this stuff, there's anxiety because I don't know if I'm gonna get a complete version. But like, yeah, 
every single modern Mortal Kombat and Injustice have all, like clockwork, gotten a complete edition. So it's just, you know, to me, these games aren't out yet. <laughs> when, I go, when I go to play them at my friend's houses, I'm just playing the beta version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Healthy attitudes. Also means you don't have to buy as many games all in one go as well. So There you go. Which is uh, always a positive these days, yeah. especially considering the the amount of games that I have bought in like the last twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 week alone, this week alone, I got Crystal Crisis, uh, Lapis Labyrinth, and I and Fan Gamer shipped my copy of Hollow Knight. So nice. like I I came home from work yesterday to three games on my counter. Yeah, like. What am I going to do? Oh, wait, play video games all weekend. The end. Sweet. Sweet. Yes. Yeah, June is a very strong month. So I had uh, Cotterdama coming yesterday, which I haven't had a chance to try yet. Uh, there is uh, World End Syndrome, which is another visual novel. Um, uh, I think Arc System Works have got something to do with that. So that looks cool. Then there's Mario Maker 2 at the end of the month. And oh, God, so much, so much cool stuff. Uh, yes. Tuesday in the US is Legend of Heroes 2. Tears oh. of Cold Steel 2 on nice. the PS the PS4 remaster. Nice. So, you know, haven't played the first one yet, but I'm sure shit getting two as well. <laughs> and then pre-ordering three because Falcom for life. Yep. Um God, what else is coming out this month that's insane? I know um I know Limited Run has something next Friday that I'm like losing my mind over. Mm. And I can't remember I can't remember what it is now. Anyway, that's yeah. yeah, that's it's all good. Nothing. Yeah. To, games, games, games. Yeah, those visual novels that uh, Limited Run put up, they they just went. Although oddly enough, there's still some copies of the PS4 version of the House in Fatima Morgana available at the time of recording. So yeah. Missed out on a version of that, then there, there are still some of those available as I record this, but uh, they probably won't last for long. So watch out for that. All right. I can't. Uh, Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I just, I, it's bothering me that I can't remember what that what the game I'm excited for next week is. Ah, oh, well. Not important. I'll rave about it next week. Oh, is it Momodora? It is Momodora. Yes, it, yeah. is, the Switch, it is the Switch version of Momodora, Reverie in the Moonlight. Uh, those are great games. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I shall look forward to not being able to order that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. What are they going to do with us, Pete? Oh, God. I don't know. Take all our money. (laughs) They've been doing that. Yes. Yes, they are. All right. I think we're done with the news for now. So let's take a short break, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about what we've been playing lately. So see you in just a moment. Welcome back. For our second segment, we like to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, what have you been up to lately, Chris? I have been playing Warriors All-Stars. Ah, tell me about this. Yes. I'm very curious about it. Yes, because I think, surprise, Warriors All-Stars did not get talked about in the right context. You don't say. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone was like, oh, it's just another Warriors game. There's nothing special about it. There's so much special about it, Pete. There's so much special about it. So, Tell me. So remember when Hyrule Warriors came out 
and everyone was like, and I'm talking about when it first came out on the Wii U, and everyone raved, yeah. and everyone raved about it, and I was like, I hate all of you because you only like this because of Zelda. like i was like this is a genuinely good game but all you critics are finally just like oh i never took the time to look at muso games before this is actually great all these mechanics are great and i was like shut up all of you you don't even get you don't even you don't even get to talk about this game because you just like it because it's zelda like well you and me like it for both reasons, because it's a really, really good Muso game and a really, really good Zelda game. But what was cool about Hyrule Warriors is the extent that it took the Muso formula to by adding like all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. So besides the classic like loads of characters to develop and items to collect and power up, there was this really cool adventure mode with a map. And the map had varying challenges. So it didn't just create this standard like there weren't just muso stages there weren't just like capture the enemy base defeat the enemy commander and deal with tactical things that are happening on the battlefield stages there were also like all enemies and you die in one hit stages or accomplish this goal in this amount of time stages and like different rule sets that mixed up the way muso played so different characters were better suited to certain challenges etc 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 Guess what Warriors All-Stars is? Hmm. Warriors All-Stars is... Omega Force took all the stuff from Hyrule Warriors, said this can't be in another Muso... We can't put Hyrule Warriors on PS4 and other consoles, so they made Hyrule Warriors for other consoles and just skinned it with classic uh, uh, characters from Koei Tecmo. (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's Hyrule Warriors. Well, I'm on board. It's it's <laughs> it's it's Hyrule Warriors, just with Koei Tecmo characters and Dead or Alive girls and uh, Ryu Opuna. Opuna and Ryu from Ninja <laughs> Gaiden and Arnis from uh, Knights of Azure. Knights of yeah. Um, and there's a one of the Atelier girls is in there. Um, I'm currently playing the campaign for the Tokiden because I love Tokiden. Yeah. But it's totally just Hyrule Warriors. There's a map screen with icons that pop up with different style challenges. And you work your way through the goofy original story, but then other challenges come up that let you recruit characters or collect materials to craft and power your characters up with. It's just massive and varied and a ton of fun. Ah, excellent. So glad to hear that that's good, because I've been looking forward to trying that. I think probably... Um, when I get to the end of my Warriors of Rochi playthrough on YouTube, I'm probably going to switch over to that for a bit, for a bit of a change, because I know Warriors of Rochi 2 is very similar to the first one, so I was thinking I'll probably switch over to that for a bit to have a bit of a change. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to to uh, to give this a go now. Also, I think there's a lot more playable characters in it than like the Wikipedia entries and marketing lead you to believe. Oh, that's interesting. Um, because... When I looked at the lists of playable characters, it turns out that the playable characters that are listed online I see everywhere are just the playable characters that you pick the campaign for. Right. So, like, I picked the the girl from Tokiden, and I instantly got two other Tokiden characters to play as, and I didn't see their names on any of the lists. Oh, okay. And then, and then I played it for, like, an hour, and then I recruited this dude who I think is from Knights of Azure... Yeah, and he, he was not on any of the lists either. 
right. but fully Weird. but fully playable. Yeah. So yeah, it I I think it's bigger than people gave it credit for. Um, yeah. This is a really cool game. It's like basically it's what if you had a Muso RPG. Yeah. Because it's got a story mode and you have a hub that you actually go to to like work on your crafting and and stuff and get and you can get you can get side missions that are character focused and stuff like you get missions from your other characters and it's like all right I need you to beat a level without using your Muso gauge you get these challenges that you can also yeah. attempt within the stages. Um, it's it's cool. The only thing I don't like about it is there's no weapons. Oh, okay. And like collecting weapons is like super Muso addiction nine thousand for me. Yeah. But but there what there is is there's trading cards. Oh, okay. So every character gets trading cards that have attributes associated with them. And in, in the same yeah. way as like forging weapons and stuff, you can you can break the cards you get down from materials, use materials you've collected to upgrade the cards you have, put new abilities on them. Um, so you equip cards instead of weapons. Um, yeah. it, it just makes me sad because it doesn't change the appearance of the character at all. Yeah. There's no like there's no new weapon models because there's no new weapons. Yeah. But I I understand why they did that because characters like uh Marie Rose and Honoka from Dead or Alive don't have weapons. Oh, so, yeah, so they're straight hand to hand, are they? Yeah, so like how would you represent something like that on them? So like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for weapons don't make sense for every character. So I, I guess that's This why. game has Nobunyaga Oda from Samurai Cats in it. Yes, it does. Fantastic. And he's one of the camp he's one of the campaign <laughs> characters, so you can like pick him. He has a, he he has a campaign. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, this game is cool weird and radically because like, when i first was reading about this game you'll recall i was like not even super excited for it because i was like how is this really any different from warriors arachi yeah i did i didn't understand what made it unique um but now i do because the campaign mm. is structured so radically different from any other muso game i've played because it has this kind of rpg twist to it yeah to it's totally something special I just picked it up for a song because I was like, I like Muso games. This is on sale for fifteen bucks. I'll just grab it to have it. I, I had yeah. I had no idea how much I was going to enjoy this. Oh, great! Well, looking forward to throwing out for myself then, because I'm uh, getting towards the end of the shoe campaign on Warriors of Rushy at the minute, which means I've just got the way campaign left to do, um, and then I can play something else. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm definitely interested in exploring the rest of Warriors of Rochi at some point. But yeah, yeah, taking taking a sidestep into that will be a nice change, I think. No, I think you'll enjoy it. It's uniquely yeah. primed to tickle all your pleasure centers. <laughs> yeah, it very much, very much sounds that way. So, yeah, cool. All right, anything else you've been up to? Uh, yes, I've been playing Crystal Crisis, but since we're going to talk about puzzle games in our third section, I'll hang on to that and we'll we'll, okay, di we'll cool. dissect that more when uh when we when we talk about those already anything else no i think that's pretty much it for me okay good stuff um i got a couple of things i want to talk about um first one is the uh, konami castlevania collection oh which yeah I picked up on switch which is lovely absolutely lovely uh, i've only really played um some castlevania one from that so far and i had a brief look at castlevania two um but uh, I, i've been spending most of my time on the first castlevania up until now so 
really enjoying that um wrote a few articles about it and it's 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 very interesting to revisit these games from a modern perspective and just see how much these games have been drawn upon by a whole bunch of places that you you might not expect at first glance so like um yeah, I mean, we've had this discussion off off mic before, but uh, yeah, you can you can you can probably trace a line from early Castlevanias to stuff like Dark Souls today. Yes, in terms of sort of technical combat, focus on movement, weight, that yes. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, very strong focus on that, and that's only really become clear to me uh, in this playthrough now, and sort of being more familiar with a lot of modern games. Is like it's, it's sort of past attempts to play Castlevania were like, oh, this is the game with the weird jumping. um but yeah i i i've been enjoying it i I still haven't finished it yet because i can't get past the fifth block at all but um yeah i i'm enjoying banging my head against it repeatedly and uh looking forward to trying some of the other games in that um the the collection by m2 is just an absolutely gorgeous collection of ports they they are flawless uh right down to the original floors from the nes version so like you've got your flickering sprites and stuff and that kind of thing um you can display it in several different ways so you can uh display it in sort of uh, pixel perfect or uh, exact four by three or you can stretch it to 16 by nine if you're weird um <laughs> who would do that <laughs> I don't what know, kind of mo- like what kind of monster it's like don't even give people the tools to make <laughs> like <laughs> yeah um there there are some scan line filters as well for those who like that sort of thing i personally don't but the the option is there if you if you do like that kind of thing as well i think there's like three different things you can do with scan line filters as well um yeah there's uh full save and load states in there as well so you can either use those to um sort of just save your progress rather than having to start from the beginning each time uh, which is what I'm doing, uh, rather than save scumming my way through it. Because I, I have a certain amount of pride, you know. I don't like to save scum my way through old games. I know a lot of people do shamelessly these days. But um, no, I, I, I'm just saving when I want to walk away from it for a bit and just mm-hmm. pick up where I left off. Um, and it's good that the option's there for that, especially for games like uh, Castlevania 2 in particular, where otherwise <laughs> you'd have to rely on a uh, rather cumbersome password system. <laughs> yeah, Castlevania um, 2 is all kinds of interesting yeah great music like great music oh yeah the the opening theme uh in that first town is called the silence of daylight and it's one of my all-time favorite castlevania tracks it's it's one that i always get sad that you know there's a really big like official remix culture for castlevania like old tracks making appearances in new games and like i always get sad that silence of daylight is one that doesn't get remixed more often because i think it's just phenomenal yeah yeah, so I'm probably going to be exploring Castlevania 2 a bit in some articles over the, uh, the the next couple of weeks or so. I don't know if I'll play it all the way through. Uh, it depends how much patience I have for it. But, you won't. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's painful. I, I don't know. I've kind of enjoyed what I've played so far, but um, yeah, that may well change. But uh, yeah, anyway, anyone who's been kind of on the fence about picking this collection up, don't hesitate uh, because it's wonderful um i mean it'll be lovely to have a physical collection of it and i mean we may not rule that out at some point well i think really cool what would be really cool would be if konami took all three of these anniversary collections they were doing and go here you go here's all of them on a disc bingo that's what i think is gonna happen they'd be stupid not to they know they know what the fans want yeah well maybe they're konami maybe they don't but but (laughs) but but seriously 
all three of these on one on one disc, I would pay upwards of sixty dollars for that if yeah. I if I could, especially if it was in like a nice steel case or something, yeah. and it came with a cool bonus. Um, yeah, if the, if they gave it like the SNK um, anniversary collection treatment, so yeah, that, that came with like a soundtrack CD and an art book and like uh, really, I mean, it was just a cardboard box, but it was really nice design on the cardboard box for that as well. So yeah, if they just did something like that, I'd be happy. That would yeah. be really nice. But as you say, it's Konami; they might not do what is the sensible thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um. Yeah. I'm also still holding out hope that there will be some sort of second Castlevania compilation as well that includes the um, the, the later games. Oh, they um, said there will be. They, oh, they, they've actually confirmed they, that. Have they, they haven't. They haven't confirmed what's gonna be on it, but they, they have said there is going to be an. Like they have said this is like the the first collection. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so oh. like we don't know what's gonna be on the other one. I still yeah. I still don't know what the hell it could be because I don't see the. Nintendo stuff coming. I, I or let me rephrase that. I, I I would find it very difficult to see the DS stuff making sense. Well, um, I mean, I, my experience with those ones is limited. But do they do they make extensive use of both screens? The first one does. It has like you you can't even beat the bosses. But you have to you have to use you have to use the touch screen to etch ruins into the uh, touch screen to defeat right. the bosses. Um, right. And the other ones I don't really remember, but theoretically the Game Boy Advance ones could translate yep. over without issue. Um, yep. The Super Nintendo version of Dracula X, yeah, um, it would be nice to have archived, um, and like like the later stuff would be cool too. Like I, uh, people are down on the the PS2 era games, but I love them, and oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and especially like well. with the prevalence of Hector as an important character in season two of the animated series, I yeah. think having Curse of Darkness readily accessible on um, modern consoles yeah. would be very nice. So yeah. there's a lot, there's some interesting stuff. Oh, the 64 ones would be cool, especially well, the I, one where you're the I werewolf. I really like those games. Yeah, they're, they're cool they're games. Pretty, they're pretty widely hated from what I can make out, but yeah, I really enjoyed those games when I when I played them when they came out, but. Uh, yeah, they seem to be a bit forgotten about these days. But um, yeah, so I, I don't see the DS ones happening, but mm. th- but there's still plenty of other stuff to build another collection out of. Yeah, I mean, there's there's what is it, is it two or three on GBA? I think I think there's two, isn't it? There's three. Then, so it's, oh, there's, it's three. Yeah. Circle of the Moon. Um, oh shit. I can have the second one on the the GBA. I always remember the Japanese subtitle of it because it's cooler because it's White White Knight Concerto, and that's not <laughs> that's not what it was called here. Um, yeah. And then there's the first one in the Soma Cruise series. Yeah. Um, As Harmony of Dissonance, isn't it? I think. Yeah, or Ari of Sorrow. Which one is it? Hmm. Dawn No Dawn of Sorrow is the DS one. Aria yeah. Aria of Sorrow is the last one on GBA, and that's yeah. a great game. Um, mm-hmm. Dawn of Sorrow is the sequel on the DS. Dawn of Sorrow is my favorite Castlevania game. Period. Oh, okay. Period. Cool. Um, but Aria is a great game too. What's cool about yeah. Aria and Dawn is that they have uh, Pokemon-inspired collection mechanics for the abilities. Yeah. So like, you kill enemies and you capture their 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 powers to use yeah. as as abilities. And it's really addictive to collect them and level up the different abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those games. The Dawn of Sorrow on the DS is my favorite because once you beat it, you unlock a special mode where it's a tribute to Castlevania Three. 
Oh, nice. So uh, you'll get there because you're playing that old school collection. But Castlevania 3's whole deal is there's different characters you recruit throughout the game. So yes. like, you, you, uh, in Castlevania 3, you pick different routes. And depending on which route you go through, you either recruit Grant, who's like a thief, who's fast and uses knives. Sifa, who's a magician. Or Saifa. I think we're saying it's Saifa now, thanks to the animated series. Uh, <laughs> Saifa, who's a mage, or uh, or Alucard, who everyone knows who Alucard is. Yeah. Um, if you beat Dawn of Sorrow, you unlock Julius mode, which lets you play through it as like the Belmont from that story, Julius Belmont. And then you yeah. also have um, like a descendant of Saifa and Alucard, and you can oh, cool. and that you have a button and you can switch between them. Nice. So you can play through the whole game in that Castlevania 3 tribute mode, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Cool. Yeah, one to watch out for. Those ones are expensive as fuck these days. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are over here, certainly. Castlevania, uh, up- Castlevania, and Castlevania. They did actually start putting subtitles on after that first um, after that first GBA one. The, the first PS2 one, they didn't put a subtitle on either. That's also called Castlevania. Uh, but then the second PS2 one, they did put... That's Curse of Darkness, isn't it? The second one, I think? Yeah, Curse or of Darkness the is one. the one yeah. with Hector. That's the second one on the PS2. Yeah, so C- C- Curse of Darkness was called Castlevania, Curse of Darkness. But the first PS2 one was just called Castlevania. That's Lament um, of Innocence in the West. Yes. All right, yeah. in, in the US. Yeah. Those are canonized now. The animated series has canonized those. That's cool, yeah. I, I was actually reading up on Castlevania canon the other day, and um, from what I could see, the, the only one that they seem to have stripped out of canon is Circle of the Moon. Which, yeah, uh, it doesn't fit anywhere anyway. Yeah. Which is a shame, because it's a really cool game. All, everyone yeah. hates it, surprise. But it's <laughs> it's really cool, because the mechanics of that game, you collect tarot cards. Yes. A- and your, the combinations of tarot cards you equip affect your whip. So yes. like, it's like you don't you don't collect weapons. You always have the whip. But if you equip like the the the, the tarot card that's like the rose with thorns on it, you get a plant whip with thorns on it that like makes vines sprout up. But like so like what you equip affects your attacks in radical ways. Um, I think nobody liked it because it didn't handle like Symphony of the Night. It handled like an old Castlevania. Yeah. Like uh, the guy moved kind of chunky. Um, yes. But I loved it. I loved it so much. So yeah. Cool. Well, let's let's hope at least some of these get a get a, a, a second chance in the sun with a, a new collection. Then, so I'll be eagerly waiting some more information on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, in the meantime, yeah, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection is fantastic. So do pick that up if you are fancying it. Um, the second thing I've been playing is Team Sonic Racing, which is Sweet. lovely. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, yeah, I, I we talked a bit about it before, but um, I was I was a little concerned beforehand that the, the dropping the Sega All Stars part of it would lose something for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we were both about concerned that. about that. Nothing to worry about there. There is more than enough cool stuff in Sonic to um, hold together a cool and interesting and diverse racing game with lots of different environments, lots of different um, settings, uh, various kinds of tracks, and yeah, it's just a ton of fun. And the um, the main single player adventure mode uh, really builds on what Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed does. So it's got its node based map and sort of different routes you can take and sort of uh, bonus stages and all that kind of thing. Um, but the difference is that they've added a story to it. It's an utterly stupid story, but it's it's 
uh, Sonic, so it's sort of held together with this wonderful cheesy charm and lots of stupid one-liners and Sonic being a dick. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sonic. Yeah. My, most of the story is like most of Sonic's friends going, hmm, we should probably be a bit careful around this mysterious guy who's pulled us into another dimension to race cars for unclear purposes. And Sonic's like, yeah, I want to race. I want to go fast. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, there's... There's uh, a nice mix of different events in there, so it's got uh, some of the um, the sort of time trial type events that you had in Transformed. So there's the traffic attack one where you have to overtake lots of things and, and break checkpoints that are moving. Um, there's uh, one where you have to skim past gates in a sort of slalom type thing uh, to get points for. Uh, there's one where you have to get rings, and if you drift through the rings, then you get more time and that sort of thing. So there's a lot, lot test your skills in lots of different ways besides just the races. And the uh, the team play stuff is really interesting. I, I wasn't sure how that was going to work, particularly a single player, but it, it's yeah, it works really well. So um, the the reason it works so well is that they've kept it reasonably simple. So the um, there's sort of just a few basic mechanics added on top of the standard racing formula so uh one of the main things is that of your team whoever's in the lead they leave like a sparkling trail behind them uh and your other two teammates can sit in that sparkling trail and the longer they sit in it the more they charge up a um a slingshot slipstream boost oh that's really Um, cool so they they can follow along behind you a bit and then just sort of zip past you and because they're your teammate it doesn't matter if they're ahead of you because as long as one of you is coming in first place then you're going to get the maximum points so um there's that one um there's a thing called a skim boost where if one of your teammates crashes or gets hit by an item uh if you skim past them really quickly you basically sort of I think it's sort of implied that you're sort of slapping them back into motion as you go past them, and it lets them build their speed up much more quickly. Um, And then you can pass item boxes between you as well. So if you get an item that isn't particularly useful for you, you can pass it to one of your teammates. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Yeah, so um, all three of those things, they charge up um, an ultimate meter. So like the more more you are playing as a team, uh, the more you charge up this meter. And when that meter's full... Um, you can fire it off and you get a massive speed boost and temporary invincibility for a little while so um, sort of trying to trying to race well at the same time as supporting your team to charge this up is really important because it's um, yeah it's because the the other teams in the race are also doing this as well and if they set one of these off and you don't then they're probably going to get ahead of you so it 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 kind of gives just enough of a twist on the usual racing formula to make it feel a little bit different from your average kart racer. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, lots of customization options. Oh, I uh, didn't I'm know not, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy about the way they're implemented because they're, they're implemented via a, a, a sort of loot box system. Uh. Um, but it's not a microtransaction powered one. So you, you, you earn credits uh, for every race. You get you get a score for every race based on your performance and sort of particular things and how well you've played as a team, and that then gets converted into these coins. And you can spend ten coins to get a um, like a capsule that has something in it, and that capsule can either have a consumable item that you can start the race with, uh, or it'll provide uh, a part for one of the character's things. Um, but there's there's no control over what you get, so you might get parts for a character that you're not playing much as. Mm. It does it does seem to have sort of naturally favoured the characters that I have been playing as. So I don't know if there is some sort of algorithm in there that makes it more likely that you'll get stuff for characters you, you've been using a lot. But um, certainly, like I, I I played a lot of the early game as Sonic, for example, and 
like the 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 first bunch of these pods that I got, pretty much everything I got was for Sonic. So I kind of have a feeling that there is something in there that says, "Oh, this this guy's been playing a lot of Sonic. We should probably give him some Sonic parts." Um, and what these parts do is they allow you to just just sort of tweak the performance of that particular character just slightly. So none of them are obviously better than the others, which is nice. So it's not like you're dependent on these parts to success. Um, it just allows you to kind of customize how they handle a little bit slightly. So if you prefer Sonic to handle a bit better, for example, uh, you can just like swap out his tires, and that will give him a slight hit to his top speed, but a slight boost to his handling. So nothing is going to make him better than the other characters. There's no sort of... I don't want to call it pay-to-win because you're not actually paying anything, but it's there's no sort of... Uh, you need this item in order to progress it just allows you to customize and then on top of that there is a visual customization element to it as well so um, all of the characters you can repaint their cars and the way that works rather than doing it completely freely you have uh, you choose a basic color scheme for them uh, and that comes with four colors and then you pick different bits of the car and you choose one of these four colors for them so you basically end up with something something that is vaguely coordinated, but the exact implementation of that color scheme is up to you. Oh, neat. Um, and then a nice touch on top of that is each of those parts that you paint, you can choose what material it's made out of. So you can have it as like sort of flat matte plastic, or you can have it as shiny metal, or you can have it as brushed metal, or like stippled metal and that kind of thing. So you can really sort of um, customize how the different cars appear. Um, and there's various vinyls you can collect as you go through as well um, that you apply to the sides. They're not like sort of freely combinable or anything. They're just preset patterns. But again, you can recolor those in different ways. You can choose what uh, what materials the different parts of it are made out of. So yeah, you can you can kind of really make each of the characters your own if you want to. I love so, it. So yeah, there's 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 a lot to this game. Uh, the single player mode is pretty substantial. It's kind of been marketed as almost a tutorial for people, but I think that's kind of selling it short really because it's a really substantial campaign with a lot of races in it. I think there's like um, something like 174 stars to collect. You normally get like maybe two or three per race. Oh wow! So there's you know, so there's a, a lot of stuff to do in there. Lots of hidden content to unlock. Lots of optional objectives to do as well, which reward you with keys, which in turn will unlock um, usually additional customization parts for you as well um so yeah there's there's there is a ton to this game and as with most of the previous um sonic racing games it, it seems particularly geared for single players so um if you enjoy sort of arcadey kart racing uh, but you don't have easy access to a lot of friends to play with or you don't want to play online then yeah this is a really good choice and uh, i'm playing the switch version it performs really well it's 30 frames per second instead of 60 for those who care about such things i don't um but the, the certainly the graphical detail is equivalent between the different platforms so it, it looks great it runs great it plays great so yeah well worth the wait i'd say i was i was gonna get the switch version and then i read today that there's like stuff cut from the switch version Oh, really? the, yeah, the, 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 the PS4 version has an opening cinematic, and the Switch oh, version okay. and the Switch version doesn't, just for storage space concerns. So, oh, that's weird. From yeah. an ar- from an archiving perspective, I think the PS4 version is probably the most complete version. Yeah, yeah, probably. But, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, but. I thought that was really weird. Like, how much does an opening cinematic? Like, I just, I just, I just, say, like, I just like, like, assume it's just a movie, right? Like, I don't understand, yeah. but yeah, it's a dumb little weird, thing, but I like to have everything. Yeah, no, I, I understand completely. But um, 
yeah, I, I can't say I missed it from its absence, but uh, I mean, I haven't seen it, so eh, yeah. Whatever. Well, it's one of it's one of those things where if I hadn't known about it, I wouldn't have missed it at all. <laughs> but now I know about it, I'm like, I have to have the version that has it, so I can <laughs> so I can watch it once and then skip it every other time I boot it up. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. Oh well. Um, yeah, and the only other stuff I've been playing is I've been continuing with Our World is Ended, uh, but I've written about that in great detail over on MarioGame.net at the minute, so I won't talk too much about that now. But uh, yeah, that is proving to be a, a really cool visual novel. So um, if if you're into your uh, kind of speculative, cautionary sci-fi, then this is, this is a really cool story to explore, particularly if you're interested in the idea of things like... Um, virtual reality augmented reality and uh, the idea of preserving memories and souls and personalities in the virtual realm as well yeah it's got some really interesting concepts in there so uh, we'll hopefully be coming to the end of that in the next week or so so there's probably one more article in that for me before i um probably going to take a slight break from in-depth features for uh, the rest of june because i'm going on holiday in the last week um, so it will, we'll be back to full-scale features after that. But uh, in the meantime, there's more Our World is Ended to come and, of course, all the other usual stuff as well. All right, anything else you want to mention? Nope, that's it for me. Good stuff. All right, let's take a break then and then we'll get into our puzzle game talk. So, see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our third segment today, we wanted to talk about puzzle games, just because that's sort of a, a nice, comfy topic that we uh, we both uh, we both enjoy talking about, and we both enjoy playing that kind of game. Um, we're going to particularly focus on more sort of arcadey style puzzle games today, so things like drop puzzlers, swap puzzlers, that kind of thing. So we're not going to be getting into um, sort of things with more sort of adventure gamey type elements, like escape rooms and that kind of thing. Mostly focusing on arcadey type things. What, what and, I would call um, the children of Tetris. <laughs> yes yes that makes sense so so not exclusively drop puzzles by any means but all, all of the kind of things that kind of use that um that same skill set and that that same kind of engaging that part of your brain basically so, spatial uh, awareness the, the game games that prevent present you with a confined space it's usually a rectangle or a square yep it fills with something and either by arranging shape or matching color or matching design, your goal is to manage that space effectively. That, yeah. That's kind of the core of these kind of games that I want to talk mm -hmm. about. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm going to set myself a personal mission. I'm not going to use the word weird to refer to any of these games. I will fail <laughs> at doing that, so I will not make that promise. <laughs> but I think your goal is admirable, and I support it. Yes. Um so, I mean, hard to know where to start, really. Um, it, I kind of want to focus on stuff that doesn't get talked about quite so much, but yeah, I, I think I think it's obviously worth acknowledging the the greats of the genre. So it's obviously worth acknowledging stuff like Tetris and so on. So, um, I'm trying to think what my first encounter with this kind of game would have been, and I actually don't think it was Tetris. I think it was probably Clax. Oh yeah, Clax is awesome. 
Yeah. Um, so Clax, if you're unfamiliar, was an uh, Atari games uh, joint from, I can't remember what year, but um, sort of uh, early 90s because the tagline was, it is the 90s and there is time for Clax. Um, in Clax, you had this weird sort of um, slot. I've used the word weird already. <laughs> <I've played. laughs> That's good. Right, no more. No, now, you, no more. now you can enjoy yourself. <laughs> you, you, you failed. Now the reins are off. That's a failure. Right. Uh, anyway, so in Clax, you have this um, this kind of slot machine type thing uh, down which uh, there are colored blocks of rolling towards you in a kind of 3D perspective. Uh, you have to catch them on a paddle, which can move left and right. I think there's five lanes altogether. Um, and your aim is to create Claxes. And Claxes are groups of three colors or more um, in either a horizontal, a vertical, or a diagonal row. And uh, the interesting thing about Clax, when compared to some of the other games we're going to talk about today, is Clax is entirely objective-based. So rather than being a, um, a kind of marathon puzzler where you just have to survive as long as possible, Clax is split into discrete stages, and between each stage it wipes the board clean and you, you start again each time. So in the early levels it just says something like, make three Claxes, and that's easy enough because you can do vertical, horizontal, or diagonal ones. Um, but by the time you get to about the fourth or fifth stage, it's starting to require you to do things like uh, specifically make diagonal ones uh, or uh, specifically uh, get at least one clax that has got four or five in it. Or there's some in really interesting stages where rather than um, making a certain number of claxes, you just have to survive a certain number of tiles coming towards you. Um, and so it really mixed up the objectives as you go through. Um, and for me, that's that's what made it interesting. That's what made it uh, feel like you were sort of progressing each time. It wasn't about high scores. It was about how far you could get. Um, and I played two versions of Clax in my kind of early puzzle game life. The first of all was the Atari ST version, which is a pretty solid arcade conversion. Um, it's uh, I've actually covered it on Atari ST A to Z on YouTube, so uh, check out that video if you want to see how that version plays. Uh, the main weakness in that version is the sound effects, uh, which I, I was completely unaware of the sound effects uh, at that point because I'd never seen the arcade version. Uh, but then I got an Atari Lynx, and Clax was kind of the killer app for the Atari Lynx. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it was a pretty much arcade perfect conversion um it um it even went so far as to be one of the few games that used the links in a vertical orientation which was tremendously uncomfortable on the original links because of its size but on the links too it was reasonably practical uh but yeah it meant you had a vertical screen um for that sort of authentic arcade like experience and the links version had all the sound effects from the um original arcade games so it had sort of like digitized applause and speech and all sorts of things and um yeah it was a fantastic conversion and i have very fond memories of it because it's one of those games that most of the members of my family like playing at one point or another so i would play it my mum would play it my mum beat it before me which uh, is my eternal shame but uh, <laughs> yeah my my, my mum got to level level 100 and beat it and saw the ending before i did let's so. just get this out of the way moms love puzzle games yes yes because my, my mom also like, if I was pl ever playing a game in my youth, and it was a puzzle game, my mom would do, like, a, a like a Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, like, Aah! like, screeching halt, like, right in, <laughs> like, walking behind the TV, and, like, immediately stop whatever she was doing to, to like, hand my ass to me. Yeah. Like, moms yeah. love puzzle games. 
yeah no it's 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 a running joke in my family because none of none of the davison males are particularly good at uh packing in particular oh uh, so like so like so like if we have to load the boot of a car with suitcases and stuff like that my, my dad will just get the suitcase and he'll put it in the middle and then he'll try and sort of pack stuff around it and my mum will always get furious with him for that but um yeah, so the running joke in our family is that is that uh, my mum is good at Tetris because it's just packing, or possibly vice versa. <laughs> yeah, and that's always the joke with me and my friends is like whenever I have a friend that moves, they're always like on me right away. Like Chris, we need your Tetris skills. I just have yeah. like a million emails. <laughs> so like I get it. I'm on the same wavelength as your mom. <laughs> I'm like the ma- I'm like the master of packing and packing cars and spaces. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think Clax was my first encounter with it. Uh, can you remember when you, what you first encountered in terms of puzzle games? It was definitely Tetris, um, yeah. but Tetris wasn't like my first obsession. Mm-hmm. That, that's Yoshi. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which I think was called Mario and Yoshi in your in your territory. Mm-hmm. So it says it was a puzzle game for the Nintendo. Um, by Nintendo, actually, it was by Game Freak. It was by the Pokemon yeah. people, um, published by Nintendo. Wow. So all the pieces, all the blocks, were like the classic Mario enemies. There's a Goomba, uh, a, a Goomba, a Boo, Piranha Plant, and uh, and the what are the squids? Bloopers. Yeah. So like you you could um, so the way yoshi played was you had mario on the bottom and he had a tray in each hand and he would turn clockwise or counterclockwise depending on which button you pressed and what that would do was it would actually rotate the entire column yeah so you didn't control the way the blocks fell the blocks just fell where they wanted to fall your your job was to rotate the columns in order to make the blocks fall on the stack that you wanted it to fall on. You were managing these stacks. Yeah. Um, actually, it's not that different from Clax, now that I think about it. Hmm. Um, but, so you could match up three tiles of the same enemies to make them disappear, obviously, which helped with spatial management to ensure that mm-hmm. stuff didn't clear, the, uh, to ensure that your screen didn't fill up, you didn't get game over. But, like, the real way to kill it in Yoshi was besides the four different enemy-type tiles, there were Yoshi egg tiles. Yeah. So there's a top egg, a top egg half, and a bottom egg half. So the idea is, if you put a bottom egg, an egg bottom half, on a stack, then you put enemy tiles on top of that egg bottom... Mm-hmm. Then eventually you would get an egg top. You cap that off like a sandwich. Then the egg collapses in on itself, makes this exceedingly satisfying sound effect. The egg, <laughs> the, the egg top and bottom join, and depending on how many enemy tiles you trapped in that egg, you hatch a Yoshi. Yeah. And the size and maturity of the Yoshi is dependent on how many enemy tiles you trapped in that egg. And they make like the Yoshi sound when they hatch mm-hmm. and there's a cute little animation and I scream and it's great. Um, <laughs> but what's cool from a mechanical perspective is right generally in the puzzle games you're trained to match, right? To to yeah. to free that space and clear things. 
which is part of what you're doing in in Yoshi. But if you're trying to fill an egg, you have to be careful not to match. Yeah. Because you don't want that stack to dissipate. You want that stack to grow and grow and grow. So you can hatch a bigger Yoshi and get a bigger points bonus. Um, so there's just something about like the bright Nintendo aesthetic of it and the music and the fact that I love Yoshi. And I would play this game just for hours as a kid. Hmm. Just hours yeah. and hours and hours. Yeah, it's fun and a bit unusual. I, I actually played this for the first time this this morning, in fact, because oh, it's, okay. on the, it's on the um, the Switch NES app um, as one of the games. Oh, and perfect! I thought, oh, I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was I was quite surprised at how different it was to kind of any other puzzle game that I've played before. It's yeah, it's a, it's a very cool game. It doesn't seem like it was particularly well received by a lot of people, but um, I mean, no change there, right? Oh no. Um, uh, but uh yeah it's it's a a fun game fun game worth a try uh for for sort of uh, a different twist on the usual falling block formula and yeah as as you say the the graphics and presentation are just lovely um it was quite a quite a late era nes game i think that one wasn't it yeah very near the end early early 90s so um yeah they've kind of really got their head around presentation at that point but yeah definitely worth a look um so um I think pr- probably the the sort of main era of games uh, I'll I'll certainly be talking about today is the PS One era, uh, which looking back at my collection of games was uh, probably probably kind of the golden era of this game for for me anyway. Yeah, I um, think so, it largely was. I mean, yeah. to, be, to be fair. So back in the PS One era, we were still at a point where. Uh, you could put out a puzzle game as a full price game and people would buy it exactly uh, which is which is i mean it still happens today because people bought Puyo Puyo tetris and stuff like that but it's puzzle games are kind of almost seen as almost lesser value these days they're the kind of kind of things that people on steam reviews would say oh you know if this was ten dollars i'd buy it but uh, whatever shut up yeah um eat a butt as i was eat a butt yes um but yeah, I, I, I have a stack of stuff in front of me um, that I want to talk about. Um, I guess I'll just work my way down it then. So, um, f- first one I've got on my stack is uh, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. Yeah, this is the game. This is the game. <laughs> I, I can't work out if I love or fucking hate this game because it is... <laughs> Because it is so difficult for me. I, I don't know if it's difficult or if it's just difficult for me, but I have real trouble with this game. Really? Um, yeah, like um so, so so for those of you who don't know the game but puzzle fighter is um uh, it's a falling block puzzler you get pairs of gems uh, there are colored gems that drop down and there's kind of a two-step process to get rid of them so uh, you have to drop colored gems so that they're touching each other um either sideways or up and down uh, and then you get these uh, crash gems which are sort of sparkling orbs you drop a crash gem of the same color on a group of gems and all the gems that are touching will be destroyed and um it's a a competitive puzzler so as you might expect from the street fighter theme um and so the more of these gems you bash at the same time the more garbage you'll send over to your opponent on the other side and you can basically multiply the amount of garbage you send to your opponents by uh making square or rectangular power gems of the same color so like if you put four red gems together they will combine into a larger power gem and if you break that it's worth more than if you just break four gems individually 
And so a key part of the strategy of Puzzle Fighter is um, setting up these these groups of gems so you, you can make these power gems and also setting off combinations as well so that like you break some gems and then some more crash orbs pop down on top of the other ones and, and that sort of thing. And so I don't really know why I have such difficulty with this because it's a pretty simple concept. Um, but just I, I anytime I play either the computer or uh, a friend at this, I tend to get absolutely flattened. Um, I used to live with um, a girl while I was um, sort of just out of university. Um, I lived with someone, my housemate, and she really liked this game. And it got to a point where I just couldn't play it with her anymore just because she would absolutely ass-blast me every time I played it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is a great game. It looks great. It sounds great. It's it's fun to play. The PS1 port is really good. Um, there's a lot of extra content over the arcade original. There's actually more content in the PS1 version than there is on the slightly more recent HD remix version that they did on Xbox 360. So um, if you have access to the PS1 version, that's well worth picking up. And it's got these adorably chibi versions of Street Fighter and Darkstalkers characters in it as well. Bingo. Which, uh, the importance of that cannot be underestimated. No, no. GB Felicia is my heart. Yeah. Like I just can't I can't even <laughs> I can't even function. Uh, yeah. This game to me is like quintessential PS1 era Capcom. Yes, definitely. It's yeah. just it's just like this is this is the aesthetic that I prize. Yeah. Just everything about Puzzle Fighter 2. The sound the gems make when they break. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Is coded <laughs> into my brain, and like it's, it's a it's a combination of things. You remember how I talked last time about the the sort of mild synesthesia I get from certain things oh, in games? Yeah, this game the, is big time. That yeah, the the combination of that gem shattering sound and the visual effect of it is just oh, it's delicious. Uh, and it's the way wonderful. the gems look, just that faceted, yeah. shiny, and like when you build a chain that just snakes all throughout like the space. Yeah. And it's just like, and you see it like follow like a domino effect, and yeah. then everything drops down. Oh God, yeah, no. <laughs> no, like I have an almost romantic relationship with Puzzle Fighter. <laughs> yeah, it's heaven. Yeah. It's heavenly. Yeah, it really um, is. It's it's an interesting one to bring up, I think, as well, because it, it kind of highlights. Um, Within what we're talking about, there's kind of several subdivisions that we can we can think of. Yes, and Pu Puzzle Fighter is uh, very much um, sort of a, a prime example of the competitive versus puzzler. Yes, um, which I think, in the grand scheme of things, is probably my personally my least favorite kind of puzzler. It but usually it is mine too. Yeah, um, but it also seems to be one of the most widespread forms of puzzlers that we, we get today anyway. But um, yeah, Puzzle, puzzle Fighter is a great example of how that works. So it's less about... Um, I mean, th there is a degree of surviving as long as possible and that kind of thing, but it is mostly about setting up these combinations to attack your opponent. It's about competing against someone else, whether that's another player or a computer opponent. Um, but yeah, it's it's a a great example of that kind of thing, and that's sort of the first kind of puzzle game to talk about today. Um, the second one, I think, is um, I mean, this isn't necessarily the best example of it, but this this is an example of the second type of game I want to talk about, which is a solo centric game uh, mm -hmm. that you can either play 
um, in terms of a stage-based experience in which you sort of have to clear various stages under various circumstances or a marathon puzzler in which it just keeps going until you uh, you run out of yeah. skill basically and like, and like speed like speed generally the speed will increase yes and, and yes and some games will actually introduce new elements yes. as it progresses yes which so is cool this too. this second ps1 game that kind of embodies that for me is um a game called ballistic um it's also known as puzzle loop um its original japanese and arcade releases were as puzzle loop but for some reason they renamed it to ballistic when it came to ps1 uh, and this is a game by mitchell corporation um brought over to the west by thq um and um y- you'll probably know it as the game that zuma ripped off um, oh okay yeah, so so this game came first, and Zuma was so similar to this. I I don't know if there actually was a legal case, but there were certainly some legal arguments being made by Mitchell Corporation suggesting that Popcat may have infringed on their intellectual property slightly. Um, but yeah, so this is a game where you have a spiral-shaped path, and coloured balls roll down this path gradually towards an end point. If they reach the end point, you lose. Uh, and to get rid of the balls, you have to uh, shoot out from a cannon in the middle, uh, and if you get three or more balls of the same color touching, then they disappear. And there's an additional mechanic on top of that, uh, whereby if you create a gap in the chain of balls and the... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say balls a lot in this. You're going to have just have to do it. There's something specific about the phrase, get a gap in the chain of balls. <laughs> <laughs> Please, we're better than this. You need some bre- <laughs> Your boys need some breathing room. <laughs> Anyway, so if there is a gap in your chain of balls, um, and the, the the balls on either side of the gap are um, are the same color, so let's let's say they're both uh, blue, for example. A pair of blue <laughs> let's not. Let's not. Um, <laughs> better than green, I guess. Yeah, then they will they they will snap together, and that will often allow you to kind of recover a bit of uh, a bit of time on the uh, on the spiral. Um, and so there's there's two ways you can play ballistic. So it, it kind of covers covers both of the other types of puzzle I wanted to talk about. So it's got the stage based game where you just have a, um, a a set amount of things coming towards you and you have to clear them out to complete the level. And then there is also a uh, endurance mode in there where you just have to last as long as possible. Um, so I I really like this game. The PS One port is really good. Um, and I actually have uh, rather fond memories of this because. Um, it's a game that we actually had the arcade version of in my student union at university. Oh, cool! Um, so in the uh, in the uh, the union bar, I think it was. There were a, a few arcade machines in the corner. They had um, a Sega Rally. Uh, they had Thrill Drive, which is a game that no one remembers. But every time I play Burnout, I think this is like Thrill Drive, but no one remembers Thrill Drive. Um, and they had Puzzle Loop. Um, and yeah, me and my friend Cat, we've spent a lot of uh, a lot of ten p's playing Puzzle Loop. Uh, while getting increasingly drunk so that's nice um next one on the list um i've got the ps1 version in front of me for reference but uh, i strongly discourage anyone to never ever ever play the ps1 version of this uh, which is cleopatra fortune here we Um, go yeah here we go this is a fucking brilliant game um so this is by uh, this is by taito um the the best way to play this incidentally um that is readily accessible in the west is probably the taito legends version which has the original arcade version in there as well there is a dreamcast version 
but I believe that only came out in Japan. But that does have quite a few enhancements in there. A, a it's ugly. The Dreamcast version is a ugly as sin. Yeah, c- compared to the original, the arcade mm-hmm. original. B, go on eBay and look up what it goes for. <laughs> I, I haven't dared. Uh, upwards um, of three hundred dollars. Ah, nice. Um, yeah, you can get the PS1 version cheap, but uh, there's a reason for that. It's, so, yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, pick, pick up Taito Legends 2 uh, for the PS2 or Xbox, or I think there's a PC version of that even, So, uh, and you can play it in there instead. So, Cleopatra Fortune. Um, this is a falling block puzzler, um, but rather than matching colours or making lines in this, you are... What are you doing in this? You're surrounding treasures, aren't you? Yeah. So You're trying like to make enclosed tr- spaces with, with treasures inside them. Yes, which is radically different, because... You have to totally change your entire approach to a puzzler because you're not trying to match any colors or any imagery at all. Yeah. You're, you're literally just... There are some pieces that are stone and there are some pieces that are treasures. And then you have to... In, you have to entomb the treasures in, mm-hmm. the, in the stone to clear them. So, But like, it doesn't matter. You could put... You could put 10 treasures that are the same treasure next to each other. Yeah. Like that's not they won't go away. They won't they won't disappear. You have you mm-hmm. have to entomb them. And then later as the difficulty increases, they introduce mummies. Mhm. And mummies can only be destroyed if you entomb them with a treasure. Yes. So Yeah. It's Yeah. So, so this one is kind of it's kind of a combination between marathon and stage based because you there is an end to it. Like if you get to level one hundred of it, you you will finish it. Yes. Um, but under most circumstances, unless you're an extremely good player of this game, you you won't see that ending. Um, and uh, so in practice, it's it's more like a marathon puzzler. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic game that I love very dearly. Ever since I tried it for the first time, which is actually quite recently, I wasn't familiar with it until I picked up. Um, Taito Legends 2 maybe a year or two back but yeah it's it's a game I go back to so often now because it's so good and that music I was gonna say and, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with a the music b the adorable little chibi Cleopatra that cheerleads you on from the bottom left corner <laughs> when you play yes oh it's it's fantastic that that yeah one of my got to be one of my all-time favorite puzzles now absolutely so uh yeah definitely seek that out if you can it's, uh, it's a shame it hasn't had sort of more widespread um ports and, and releases i i as far as i'm aware there's no sort of modern arcade archives re-releases of it or anything like that so um yeah your best bet as i say is the the ps2 or xbox or pc versions of taito legends 2 there is an individual on YouTube who does a complete playthrough. Yeah. And oh, cool. m- my friend and I watched it on Saturday. And our jaws were just in our lap the entire time. Like like what am I like what am I witnessing? It was like <laughs> I I love this game. I I had only like brought that video up to like play the music for my friend because I was telling him that I was obsessed with the music. <laughs> and he was like, "How can it be that good?" And I'm like, "It's an entire it's an entire experience." So I had to bring this video up. But then like an hour later, we were still watching this guy like make his make his way to level 100. Um it's this game. Oh boy. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm actually I'm going to be doing a painting of the of the Cleopatra. Oh, very, fantastic! Very very soon. Yeah, yeah. From this, you game. know, it's, you, you know, it's not Cleopatra technically. Oh, who is it? It's supposed I can't to be. What her name is? It's, it's something like 
hold on i'll look it up I, I i did i did make this point when i actually wrote about it so let me see if i can i can find out it's it begins with p i can't remember what it is though but it, oh. no she, she's she's not cleopatra she's just dressed up as cleopatra oh well, that uh, doesn't make it confusing at all not at all not at all but uh you know and also it doesn't matter but i'm yes i want to, I want to know now <laughs> no this is um, this is obscure game knowledge this is what we do uh hold on here we are here's my review uh, uh, Pataraco. There we go. Patara. Okay, so it doesn't yes. even. That's not like a real. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know my Egyptian yeah. history. Yeah. No. She. She's. She's called Pataraco, uh, and she actually puts in a guest appearance in Poochie Carrot, which uh, coincidentally yes. is next on my pile. Um, so Poochie Carrot. Um, I mean, there's an argument to be made that this isn't necessarily a puzzle game in the same way as what we're talking about here, because it's technically a block breaker. Um, so it plays like it plays kind of like it plays kind of like a combination between Breakout and uh, Buster Move or Puzzle Bubble, in that um, I would argue that these games classify as what we're talking about, though, because like yeah. I said, it's all about space management and clearing a space via reflexes to achieve a yeah. score. Yeah, and so I'll give it to you. Yeah, put your carrot definitely um, because of the, because of specifically that space management aspect. Um, because in Pucci Carrot, what you do is you have um, these coloured gems coming down from the top of the screen, as in a puzzle game. Um, but rather than matching colours or anything like that, you're just hitting a ball back and forth with a paddle at the bottom of the screen. Um, and the, the, the reason I compare it to Buster Move and Puzzle Bobble, uh, which will probably come up today at some point as well, is that um, if you make it so that uh, a group of gems is no longer attached to the top of the screen somehow, then they, they will fall. So it's in your interest to try and um, set up your shots so that you can basically snap off these big chunks of gems in one go. Um, and that sort of gives it quite an interesting different focus to um, your more typical block breaker, whether it's Breakout or Arkanoid or something like that. So, um, And I really like it. And uh, also Poochie Carrot has um, kind of an, an element that comes back in a lot of these games, which is lovely character design. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, so there are a lot of games from this period in particular. So the PS1 era, also the, the Neo Geo was going a lot around this time as well. I've got a couple of Neo Geo titles. I was going to say that, well. that it won't be surprising to you that there are Neo Geo titles on my yeah. list of stuff to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, a, a big part of the appeal of a lot of these games, particularly the kind of competitive versus ones, uh, was the inclusion of characters in them and uh they were typically incorporated either as a little chibi sprite at the side or as a massive fully animated uh kind of backdrop to what you were doing um put your character takes that latter approach and it's beautiful so the the characters in that are all like sort of mid to late 90s anime type designs and they just look wonderful and they animate beautifully and they respond to how well you're doing in the game and that sort of thing and it's yeah it's, it's one of my favorite things in this era of games and it's it's a reason that i i play a lot more of the versus puzzle games from this period than i might otherwise do so just yeah because the characters are so appealing to me yeah uh, um but yeah, yeah, Pucci Carrot, there's a few ways you can play this. Uh, the PS1 version is excellent. It's an excellent arcade port, and it's got some additional content over the arcade original. Uh, but Pucci Carrot, the original arcade version, is also in that Taito Legends 2 pack as well. So mm. um, definitely worth your time, uh, if only for Perido. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, so a couple more to bring up from the PS1 era. One is Star Sweep. 
uh, which I wasn't familiar with at all until quite recently. Until someone brought it up when I just I just happened to mention that I was interested in puzzle games and wanted to hear some of uh, some other people's favourites. And Star Sweep um, is again it's another falling block puzzle game. It, it got a, a straight to budget release over here, um, but uh, I, I can't remember offhand who developed this one. Um, because I'm the only credit familiar with Star Sweep too. I never played it, but it was also a budget release. Yeah, in the so, states. So, so it, it is a Japanese one, but the only credit I've got in the box in the manual here is just to, to Midas Interactive, who were the publishers. A One um, Games is the developer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so Star Sweep is another falling block game, but in this one you have. Oh no, they're of, not. They're the publisher. Um, you have kind of long, thin blocks of different colors. Um, and you're trying to match like colored ones in this one, but because they're long thin blocks You have to arrange them very differently to how you might do in something like um, Something with sort of specifically colored gems and so on and you, you end up sort of building this tower um, In various ways and again, there's, there's various different ways you can play with this. There's a competitive mode uh, Which gets ludicrously difficult by the end of it um, in the arcade mode uh, But then there's also a mode where you have to sort of dig down through these clouds by making matches and taking the clouds with you as well so um yeah this this is this is a fun game and just the the way it's set up and presented it's kind of hard to explain in, in in just words you kind of have to have to see how it plays really so i'll make sure there's some, some footage in this in the video version of the podcast but it's um yeah it, it has quite a different feel from a lot of other games of the period but it's definitely uh definitely a good one um Oh, the developer of Star Sweep is a company called uh, Fupac, F-U-P-A-C. <laughs> okay. Um, and they have done nothing I've ever heard of. Fair enough. Looks like a lot of just the kind of budgety stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of some visual novel stuff. Room, mm -hmm. room, something called Roommate novel. Something yeah. called. Uh, a series called Happy Lesson that they've done a couple of, but mm -hmm. yeah, none of this stuff looks like it made its way out of the out of Japan. Mm. Okay, all right. Um, I've got a couple more PS One ones. One of them is Magical Drop, which I suspect is probably going to come up in your Neo Geo discussion. So I'll hold that for now. Yeah. Um, last one I want to mention then is a Taito one that um, I don't think a lot of people are super familiar with, but it's called Landmaker. Have you heard of this one? Landmaker? Mm -hmm. No, no, not familiar at all. Yeah, so Landmaker is a really cool game from uh, Taito. Um, the the PS1 version has actually got two very different game modes in it. They kind of work on the same mechanics, but they're presented completely differently. Uh, the basic concept of Landmaker is you have an uh, isometric grid, um, but you you kind of um, you kind of fire stuff up up it in a kind of two D way. But the the actual layout of it is as isometric diamonds. Holy shit! This is cool. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> wow. and what you're doing, and what you're doing in this is you're, you're collecting together square groups of the same color to create buildings, um, and then depending on what mode you're playing, you can either just get rid of the buildings by firing a, a, a the right color at the corner of the building, which will destroy it and anything attached to it, uh, or if you're playing the the puzzle mode, which was added for the PS1 version, then you have like a, a prerequisite size of building that you have to try and make before you run out of moves. Um, but yeah, this is a super cool game. Um, and as I say, the PS1 version has these two completely different ways to play. So the, the puzzle mode is presented using uh, fairly simplistic low-poly graphics. 
uh, but it's got this lovely kind of minimalist feel to it um, and the concept of that is that you're building various cities so uh, the better you do in these various challenges the, which are, are generally just as simple as like make a five by five building or, or something like that starting with a, a layout of these gems um yeah, the, the better you do in these various challenges, the more the city will grow. So you have to try and sort of grow this city as, as soon as possible. Uh, but then there's also the arcade modes, which rather than having uh, low-poly 3D graphics, has this lovely pixel art. Uh, and that is a, a more competitive angle on it. So in that one, you're competing against someone else to try and construct buildings and destroy them and then attack your opponent. And um sort of conceptually it doesn't really feel like it makes a whole lot of sense but um it's it's really fun and it's it's something very different to uh to what we've got and it's it's not terribly well known from what i can make out um but yeah it's it's very very good uh, i tried it for the first time the other day and i thought oh, i'll just try this quickly so it's something else i can talk about i spent the whole evening playing it <laughs> this is i've never seen this before this is so unique visually with this yeah. isometric style it's a bit like Buster Move, eh? Like yes. bank, like bank shotting these things. Yes, yes. So, so, so there's a strong focus on uh, sort of bouncing things off corners, and then they the, the stuff continues to slide until they slot into place. So there's there's kind of an almost sort of shuffleboard esque angle to it, where you're trying to sort of make trick shots to get things into awkward locations. Um, and in the puzzle mode, you have to do things like take into account how the the stage moves as well so the the way that the um you have the time pressure in the puzzle mode is that the wall at the back of the screen gradually advances towards you and it pushes anything down when it collides with something and so there's various levels in this puzzle mode where you have to specifically let it push stuff into various arrangements to create buildings and that's just a complete adjustment from any other puzzle game i've played right where you're like you're deliberately letting the game advance and push stuff towards you yeah fantastic fantastic game well worth a look all right shall we talk about some neo geo stuff yeah well i mean i just i just have a couple um mainly mainly magical drop Mm -hmm. um because let's face it magical drop is great so magical drops interesting because well first of all i think uh, I need to talk about like kind of what's at the heart of my love for these kind of games, because mm-hmm. like the more I've been thinking about, I think this might be my favorite genre. Yeah, like I, I think this might legitimately be my favorite. Like, like if there was some kind of demon in my bedroom that was like, I, everyone you know and love will die unless you select only one type of genre of game video game and only play that for the rest of your life. Like, I think I'd be like puzzle games. Uh, Like, and I think to me, it's this absolute distillation of the notion of gaming. Yes. definitely. Right. So like puzzle games are by their very nature, exceedingly abstract. Mm hmm. Like, of course, there are ones with narratives, but it, it's dumb. The narratives are dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this is a pure gameplay experience. Like, if you boiled all the special aesthetics and the graphical styles of them away, they could still function if they were nothing but sequences of circles and rectangles with color. Yeah. Like, it's pure abstraction. It, it is... They are the mechanic fr- the mechanic fans... Like ultimate genre, because mm-hmm. the, the, these are just playgrounds for mechanics, like clockwork mechanics that work together 
to build an experience. And so I think that's kind of why I look at these. So like that's what makes this discussion so fascinating to me. Like looking at this footage of Landmaker and talking about the way Puzzle Fighter works. I mean, obviously a lot of the games we love in these genres are because of a fusion of aesthetic and presentation with the mechanics. But at the end of the day, it's talking about their different systems that, that make them interesting. So yeah. like what's cool is now we move on to Magical Drop, which just takes mm -hmm. once again everything we just talked about and learned about other puzzle games throws it right out the window and forces you to learn a whole new set of skills. Mm -hmm. So in Magical Drop, you're not making the blocks or the pieces fall. You're not shooting them into place. You're grabbing the ones that are already there. Yeah. Right? So in Magical Drop, you have a little, little gnome friend on the bottom that you can move left and right. And he has a little indicator of, of dots to show you which column he's standing underneath. And the gems themselves come from the top of the screen and they build down to crush you on the bottom. Mm -hmm. What you can do as your little gnome friend is you reach up and you pull the blocks down. You, the, the little gems, I'm sorry, the colored gems. Yeah. Then you shift left or right, and then you shoot them back up into place. But you can't shoot them until you've grabbed them first. So instead of constructing a space out of what you're given, you're actually responsible for rearranging the mess that's created for you. Yeah. And then by matching groups of the same color, you clear gems and clear space. Um a radically different mechanical take on one is what is once again what I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion at the core of this type of game, which is spatial management, mm -hmm. but just a whole different take on it. Yeah, um, definitely. So, um, you know, that's magical drop, and it's mm -hmm. hectic, and it's a good versus puzzler. Um, uh, and then moving on to aesthetics, it's just uh, it's got a really adorable presentation where uh, it's focused on the uh, the decks of the tarot cards. Yeah. So, like, all the characters are characters from the tarot cards. Just in these adorable, chibi, bright color anime style, um, you know. And the Death and the Empress are my queens, and I love them. Because um, <laughs> the Empress is just, like, bondage queen with, like, a freaking riding crop. And she just, yeah. like, she just, like, when she, like, scores on you, she just, like, slaps the riding crop and your screen fills with garbage. <laughs> She's the best. Um... Yeah, so I mean, Magical Drop is just, once again, a, a radical approach to what should be a familiar concept, and that's what makes it so good. Mm -hmm. um, also on the Neo Geo is Money Idol Exchanger or Puzzle Idol oh, Exchanger, I was you bring this up. I was depending this on where you are. And this yeah. is conceptually similar, but it throws the mix in of your working with coins yeah. that can combine in value when you match them up. Mm-hmm. So it's it starts out the same. You reach up, pull down, and reorganize space. But instead of color matching gems, you're putting coins of different denominations together to make larger denominations before you clear them to maximize your score. Mm -hmm. And and it also has a similar adorable aesthetic. I I I, I want to emphasize the aesthetic of this one because it's yes it is it is sort of late nineties anime magical girl Sailor Moon. It's oh, it's I. This this game is just 
I just want to stop and look at it every time I boost it. <laughs> because the intro, the intro is pure like Sailor Moon. Like it's got a silhouette of the main girl running in the background and other characters appearing, and there's like whooshing hair all over the place and big eyes and triangular mouths and blonde-haired women are going oh and that kind of thing. And it's oh god, I love this game. Yeah, it's um, everything. Yeah, yeah. It 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 is it, it, like you say. It's the interesting thing about this is that magical drop had already asked you to unlearn things that you knew about puzzle games and then this game goes and asks you to unlearn most of but not all of the stuff you learned in magical drop yeah so the the whole the whole kind of coin exchanging thing is uh, a really interesting mechanic because it's um it's kind of not not a symmetrical mechanic so it's not a case of like you always match two coins to do this like if you if you want to make a 50 coin you have to match five tens but if you want to make a hundred coin you only have to match two fifties and so it makes logical sense but if you're used to something like magical drop where there's like a constant um it, it's it's always a constant mechanic it's just a, an additional layer of things to think about that i think makes this game really interesting um yeah i i, I really like it Mm -hmm. yeah it's good stuff um and of course you can't talk about the neo geo and puzzle games without talking about puzzle bobble or absolutely or bust a move whatever you want to call it which once again hey totally different take on similar concepts so once again Mm -hmm. we're talking about spatial management through color matching but instead of um instead of building the space from the top down um, you're once again, as with Magical Drop, presented with a screen that gradually fills with garbage from the top towards you instead of building. You're yeah. given the garbage, and then what you're given is you're given gems additionally, and you have a little cannon that can shoot those gems to make color matches. So you're trying to make bank shots and match these colors by almost in a billiards way like you're bouncing the little gems off the wall to get them to hit where they need to go um and you're given a um you're given a, a indicator in the center of what gem you're going to get next so you can kind of try to plan moves ahead of time and the whole thing is framed with adorable characters from the puzzle uh puzzle bobble puzzle <laughs> bobble bobble universe <laughs> so that was kind of one of the Neo Geo's killer apps for many years was Puzzle Bobble. Yeah. Slash my, fir- my first encounter with this was um, the, the there was a PC version released. Oh, sure. Um, that was a really good port of it. And um, I was doing work experience on PC Zone magazine here in the UK at the time. And Puzzle Bobble brought the entire office to a standstill for like a week. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good. So good. Oh, I shouldn't have Googled Money Idol Exchanger. I forgot about this. I forgot about this nasty blonde. Yes. Oh, I played this this morning, and I did just like the first time I made a match, and she did an oh ho ho. You know. Said, yeah, Chris is going to be into her. I'm done. I forgot all about her. I'm out. Close win. Close window. Get me out of this. Abort. Uh, right. Well, we've talked about this for 45 minutes so far, so I'm going to limit myself on uh, uh, talking about too many other things, but there are a few more that I'd like to bring up. What I need um, from you, man, is you got to bring the thunder. What are some weird, like, Atari ones and stuff? Because, like, I need... Well, here's, here's the interesting thing, because um, it's sort of the, the puzzle game genre in the, the, the form we're talking about here kind of didn't exist 
um, until sort of Tetris and stuff came out. I do have one example, though, which is actually coming up on the Atari A to Z series. So I won't talk about it in too much detail now. But um, uh, this is uh, Uncle Henry's Nuclear Waste Dump. Oh, yeah. So Uncle Henry's Excellent. Nuclear Waste Dump was a type in listing from Antic magazine um in kind of the i guess it would have been the late 80s um and what this was this was a it, this was a, a falling block game um but uh, again it was a twist on the formula in that you're specifically not trying to match anything uh, because you're, you're dumping nuclear waste into a pit and if you put any of the two of the same kind of nuclear waste next to each other they will blow up and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to drop these three different types of barrel into this pit and make sure none of them touch each other um, which sounds pretty simple to begin with um, but as you start to progress um, you will run into certain mechanics like if there is free space to the left of a barrel uh, for example it will roll down the, the slope and land at the bottom and if it lands on one of the same color then it will blow up um, and and that's it and all you're trying to do in this game is try and reach the top of the screen so you're specifically trying to fill up the bin in this one rather than okay. trying to keep it empty um, and the the designer for this game um he he made a point of saying after the fact that when he programmed this he he'd never heard of tetris so like this this was kind of a, a completely original creation completely independently of other stuff that was happening in this kind of emerging genre at the time that's uh, and awesome it, and it was just a type in listing in a magazine and um the the original author i mean he doesn't he doesn't seem to think much of this game now but it's it's fun I enjoyed playing it. I enjoyed recording the video for it. So um, it's definitely worth a look. Uncle Henry's Nuclear Waste Dump. But as far as I can remember, that's pretty much the only thing from kind of the pre-NES days that mm. I can really think of, which is quite unusual when you think about it. But I guess it sort of exploded after Tetris came out and people realized that dropping things into a hole was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway... Yeah, a couple more I want to bring up then. Uh, one is uh, one which I can almost guarantee no one will be familiar with, uh, which is that We Play You on Wii U has mm. a great puzzle game in it, um, which unfortunately is buried in like three layers of menus, so most people probably won't even find it. Uh, but it's called Demolition Row. And it's a really simple puzzle game. It's um, it's just you, you, uh, you have a pit of colored gems again. Um, and the mechanic in this one is that if four or more of them of the same color are touching, then they will disappear and then other stuff will drop down. Um, the twist you have in this one is that all of the blocks you get, uh, they're all cross shaped. So they're all, they're all in like the shape of a plus sign oh, and okay. you can just, you can just rotate them. Um, but like in something like columns, uh, when they land, uh, it will then split apart. So the component gems of that will split apart and it, it, it have gravity respond on them and that kind of thing. So you can sort of drop stuff into gaps and split the piece up and that kind of thing. So a puzzle fighter, you can, right? You can, you can if yeah, you tilt yeah, the gem yeah. sideways, you can break the, break yes. the chain. Yeah. So it's um yeah, it's it's a really simple game, but just just the fact that it was included as, as part of We Party You, which is an otherwise very multiplayer centric game. Um it's a really fun little game. Um yeah, there's there's not a lot to it, but it's it's pretty addictive. You can play it on the gamepad or you can play it on the TV. Um and there's there's a two player mode in that, there's a stage based mode and there's a marathon mode, and it's yeah, it's just kind of a, a neat encapsulation of pretty much everything we've been talking about here. Um, so yeah, that's worth a look if you do happen to have a copy of Wii Party U hanging around. Um, and I think probably the last one I want to talk about today is uh, Soldam on Switch. Oh yeah, I, I was hoping you would. 
Actually, no, not the last one. There is one other one other than Soldam I want to talk about as well, because I did it with three, weren't they? Uh, but I'll talk about Soldam first. So Soldam is a game by um, City Connection, uh, who uh, they were made out of the ashes of Jalico, as I recall, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Or they, they own the rights to all Jalico stuff now. So um, originally, Soldam was the sequel to a Jalico platformer called Rodland, which I'm very fond of. Um, but the the soldam was a completely different kind of game so so while rodland was a single screen platformer in which you had to defeat all the enemies bubble bubble style uh, soldam was this uh, falling block puzzle game and uh, soldam's unique mechanic is that it's inspired by reversi or othello or whatever you want to call it um in that uh, you have these colored tiles that drop down uh, they they fall in in square formats so made up of four separate tiles um and what happens is if you surround um, a, a row of the same color with the opposite color, then all of the ones in between will change. So just like in reverse, if you surround a player's pieces on either side with your color, you'll flip them all over and so on. So um, success in Soldam is all about creating complete lines of the same color. And the main way you do this is through using these reverse light mechanics. Uh, and again, it's it's such a different way of doing things um, to other puzzle games that I really like it because it's it's got an element of dropping things in strategic places, but then it's also got the element that we talked about with Money Puzzle Exchange and uh, Magical Drop where you are rearranging the board after you've dropped things down. Because a lot of puzzle games have the thing that once you've dropped it, it's there. You have to deal with it. Uh, but in Soldam, you have the ability to rearrange the board in various ways, and that's what makes it very interesting. And the other thing that I really like about Soldam is that although there is a competitive versus mode in there, in this case, it is not the focus of the experience. The, the central focus of Soldam is on this single-player mode where you survive as long as possible. The longer you go, the more different colors you have to deal with. So you start with just two colors, then you go up to three, and then there's four. I don't know if it goes any further than that afterwards, but there's... Um, yeah, you just have to survive as long as possible. And it has quite an interesting method of um, handling difficulty. So a lot of these puzzle games, they have kind of a linear curve of speed as you increase. So like you play Tetris, and the higher your level goes, the faster the action goes. What Soldam does is actually something that Pio Pio does as well. Uh, we haven't really talked about that, but um, I mean, that's one of the more well-known ones. So It's become clear that there's going to have to be an episode two and or three of puzzle games. Definitely, definitely. Because we've been at this for an hour, <laughs> and I've got about ten more games on my list and i yep. think i keep thinking of new ones as yes so like we're coming Definitely. back to this so don't even sweat it because we'll yep. do poyo we'll do poyo poyo tetris yes. <laughs> like we will do this again yeah Definitely. Anyway, so this this difficulty mechanic I'm talking about, rather than having this gradual acceleration, what uh, Soldam does, like Pio Pio, is that every 10 levels or so, um, it will accelerate over the course of those 10 levels up to what seems like an almost unmanageable speed. And then if you survive that seemingly unmanageable speed for a whole level, it will then slow down again. That's what Cleopatra um, Fortune does as well. Yes, yes. So, every, ten, so every 10 levels, the speed resets. Yeah, so and I think that's a really interesting mechanic because it it sort of forces you into this interesting rhythm of sort of being thoughtful and then having to respond quickly to things. And those are kind of two different parts of your brain, I think, in that you're having to 
when it's moving fast you just don't really have the time to be able to plan clever things out you just need to survive and do things as efficiently as possible whereas when things are going more slowly you can sort of take your time to set up more elaborate combos and that kind of thing and it's it, it, it's something that i really noticed for the first time in soldam but as you say there's other games that make use of it as well um, the last one I want to mention is actually one that I, I came across for the first time recently as well. So, uh, and I've only played it a little bit, so I don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, and that's a PS2 game called Egomania. Have you come across this before? Um, I remember seeing it in the yeah. stores, but I've never played it. Yeah, so this is a game by Chemco. And the reason I want to bring it up is that it's, it's a, a, a really interesting twist on the Tetris formula. Um, in that um, you have a bin um you have shapes that are dropping down into it but rather than dropping and placing every single shape that falls you're in control of a little character who can walk around and jump onto the top of the shapes that you put on there oh wario's the, wood style yeah kind of kind of um so the aim in egomania is that you are trying to build a tower that is tall enough for you to reach a hot air balloon at the top um, but the, the mechanics that stop you from just building a tall and thin tower is that uh, if you don't make complete lines, uh, then your tower will become unstable and collapse. And at the same time, um, there is a water level that is slowly rising up the tower as well. And if the water level reaches a line that has a gap in it, that line will leak and then collapse, which will bring your tower sort of crashing down again. Um, yeah, and and so you're just building these towers using basically Tetris pieces and a few other variants. Like there's some five block things and there's some two blocks and one blocks as well. Um, but yeah, you're building up this tower, trying to make as complete lines as possible, um, and you're racing against an opponent while you're doing this as well. So it's not directly competitive in the same way as something like Puzzle Fighter is, but you are trying to do stuff more quickly than your opponent is. And um, yeah, just trying it for the first time. Um, last night uh, i just found it a really really fun experience and not one that i've really heard talked about all that much um i think it i think it was another sort of straight to budget release here it was published by chemco i think um i can't remember the name of the developer offhand but they they're not one that i've heard of particularly well um but yeah it's if if you like your ps2 era stuff then this is this is one worth looking at it's got a quite a fun aesthetic about it it's all all the characters are eggs so if you enjoy the dizzy series you'll probably get a kick out of that kind of thing um and it's got a, a fun soundtrack to it as well yeah just a, the animation is really fluent yeah this is, this is a really neat game yeah I never heard never heard of this yeah it's it's one of those one of those ones i just sort of picked up for like 50p or a pound recent recently and thought oh that sounds like fun i'll, I'll give that a go so very all right cool. I, I'm going to resist talking about it anymore now because, as you say, we're closing in on an hour as we do. Yeah. This. So, is there I want to do. You want to bring up? Yeah, I want to talk about Crystal Crisis because it's current. Yes. Um, sure. Which is kind of the whole reason I wanted to, to talk about this topic in the first place, and I've managed not to talk about it yet. Um, <laughs> so recently, Nicholas, um, who is a delightful publisher, as as we know, moved also into development. Um, they did that fighting game, Blade Strangers. Um, so moving off of that, they've also introduced a puzzle game into their kind of universe, which is Crystal Crisis. Mm -hmm. um, Crystal Crisis is essentially Nicholas saying, you know what? Puzzle Fighter is certainly one of the best video games ever made. Why isn't there a new Puzzle Fighter? <laughs> uh, so, so they made Puzzle Fighter. Yeah. Um, they made Puzzle Fighter for the Switch, and it's great. Um, I don't need to describe the mechanics too much. Because it's literally Puzzle Fighter. <laughs> um, 
it is puzzle. It's basically a spiritual successor to Puzzle Fighter. Um, it has introduced two new mechanics. So everything we talked about earlier is still in place. Um, the two new mechanics are that the screen wraps around. Oh, okay. So like uh, the field. I shouldn't say screen. Field of play. So your your rectangle on your side that you have to manage the space within. If you hold um, left, your piece doesn't stop at the left right it'll actually come over to the right again oh okay so you don't have to you can manage that space differently Mm. um but what what that also means is if you flip your piece sideways you can split that piece oh cool you can put one piece one of the gems on the right side one of the gems on the left side so that that throws a whole new wrinkle into it the other thing that's new is that, uh, much like Puzzle Fighter, you select a character. Um, each character now actually has special moves. Yeah. So those special moves charge as you delete, as you uh, break gems. And then, um, either using the L, the, uh, L trigger or the right trigger, you choose whether or not you want to deploy your special move as a defensive special move or an attack special move. Yeah. Every one of those special moves for every character is different mechanically. Oh, nice. So, um, uh, so like, there's a ninja character, and his attack special move, just for a period of 10 seconds or whatever, color blinds the, your enemy's screen. Oh, Everything, nice. everything's just gray. Yeah. So, like, like, he does, like, he does that. Or, like, uh, Astro Boy, uh, his defensive special move, is um lets you rotate blocks uh lets you rotate group blocks of four clockwise or counterclockwise to literally rearrange the stuff you've already set down yeah like the whole the whole time pauses and you get like 20 seconds to do that mm-hmm. or um the one character creates uh crash gems that drop but they're on a timer so you don't get the instant gratification of the crash gems deleting the bricks. You have to like it, which really lets you lay combos down. Yeah. So you get like you get like five seconds of nothing but timed crash gems landing, and then when that five seconds is over, just chaos unleashes. <laughs> so like every character is different. Cool. Um, and what all what is also cool is in the option mode, you can turn off the screen wrapping and turn off the special moves if you just want classic puzzle fighter. Oh, neat! That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. neat. It's neat. And uh, all the characters are drawn from like all these weird places um, that are basically um, Nicholas's publication stuff. Yeah. So it's um, uh, the characters from Thousand and One Spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, characters from Cave Story. Yep. Uh, Umahara Kawase. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's the other? I don't you know. Say, a... You say Code of Princess in there as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Solange from Code, Code of Princess is in there. She's my favorite to be so far. Um, and really weirdly enough, characters from um, the history of Osamu Tezuka's anime <laughs> yes. library. So, like, so I, a- I love the Astro Boys in there. Yeah, so like Astro Boy and um, and Blackjack. Yeah. Um, which is weird. Yeah, so it's cool because it's like Astro Boy versus Quote 
from Cave Story, and he's like, "Golly gee, Mister, you're a robot too," and it's, it's just like cute because um, they're all like chibi-fied and adorable. Um, also, super delightful, which is something that Puzzle Fighter lacked. There's a story mode. Yeah, um, it's short. You can play through it in like an hour. Yeah, um, but you make choices as to what characters you want to play, and I believe yeah, cool. that, and I believe that changes the path. Um, of who who gets to play what because like i haven't fought certain characters and like i very specifically got to fight the boss of the game as curly from cave story yeah and and i think that was due to like the fact that like in the one the one fight i chose to play as curly yeah so i think i think it shook out that way specifically um so i don't know how that works i don't know how those paths trace so i'm excited to go back and retry that Mm. um the other thing that's really really cool um not mechanic related or anything is the announcer for the game is peter cullen who is the voice of optimus prime (laughs) like the original and forever voice of optimus prime also eeyore but let's face it optimus prime is is cooler but so if you've ever wanted to play a fighting game where optimus prime introduces every match and does like Soul Calibur style, like two warriors locked in eternal struggle, fight! And it's but it's fucking Optimus Prime. <laughs> um, Crystal Crisis is your game, and he also narrates the story mode. Oh, wonderful! So it's like he sets up like the stories and the clashes with like little di- little bits of dialogue, and it's Optimus Prime. <laughs> so yeah. The only thing that I don't like about Crystal Crisis is it doesn't nail that synesthesia that um, it doesn't nail that synesthesia that Puzzle Fighter yeah. hit so perfectly. The the gems are just like not as visually appealing yeah. to look to look at. The sound effects aren't really there. When you break gems, they don't break like domino, like they don't shatter down a line, they just break. Oh, okay. So it's like it's viscerally less satisfying to play than puzzle yeah. fighter is but the me- the mechanics are there and it plays right and it's loads of fun oh, good. but it doesn't feel quite the same mm-hmm. that being said for 40 bucks you can have a hd puzzle fighter on modern consoles yeah and oh. who who's gonna say no to that <laughs> definitely not oh, i'm so glad that turned out well as i i had high hopes for this one i'm i'm glad it's come out well yeah, Nicholas is killing it. I really have to get Blade Strangers. I hear that's a lot of fun. I hear it's a perfect, uh, like a perfect intro, kind of tutorial style fighting game. It's got yeah. it's almost because the fighting the special moves work like Smash Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not like complicated commands. So yeah, it's more so. it's more about learning the fundamentals of a fighting game, kind of like uh, uh, SK Heroines. Her- yeah. I, I keep wanting to call Gal's Fighters, but that's the that's the original <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's more about learning the fundamentals of a fighting game in terms of timing, combo building, and spatial awareness. Yeah, that's, um, than that's, it, than it is about memorizing complex inputs. That's really important, and so many people didn't acknowledge how well SNK Heroines did that. Is they're just like, oh, it's too simple. Yeah, you're not learning how to do a dragon punch maneuver. It's like, no, but I, I'm learning when is a good time to attack and when not to attack. That's fairly yeah. fundamental. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I really want to check out Blade Strangers. But yes, Crystal Crisis is a really solid modern puzzler. And I recommend you check it out if awesome. you're into these games. Awesome. I may well be ordering it after we record here. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be around. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. 
Okay, I think it's probably we should probably call time on that. As you say, there's at least two or three more episodes in us on this topic. I think from oh, the sound it's, of things, it's it's ridiculous. And, and yes. we haven't even got into swap puzzlers. We haven't even got into like Bejeweled and Honey Pop and Purino Party and Pokemon fucking Puzzle League. That's yeah, I was just gonna say we haven't league. touched po- we haven't touched Puzzle <laughs> League, which is dangerous. <laughs> fucking uh, let's let's be honest, Puzzle and Dragons is a hoot. Yes. I have a bunch of weird games for my Vita, my DS, my GBA. We didn't talk about Gunpei. Yeah. Gunpei is a weird one. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. No, we'll, we'll come back. There'll be... This'll be a thing. Excellent. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for today, then. So, words you like to tell people where to find you online, as usual. Absolutely. Uh, MrGilderPixels.com or on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at MrGilderPixels. Um working on some cool paintings right now as always so uh, please pop in say hi give me a retweet it really helps me out i need some more visibility um hope to see you guys around good stuff and as usual you can find all my work on mariagamer.net and over on youtube if you're listening to this podcast on soundcloud don't forget that there's a youtube version with video and uh graphics and all that exciting stuff on there and if you're uh watching on youtube there is the soundcloud version so you can listen without having to watch at the same time um so there you go as always thank you very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.